Soldiers of the Empire, your time to shine is now! Our combined arms assault will conquer all! Like these fools want to resist. Such idiocy must be punished. Protect the pandas and they'll squash, squash your enemies into mush. What's all these lances? Teach them how gunpowder works. These morons are leading the charge of the engineers. Let no one live. They must remember this lesson. Blast! Their numbers make it difficult to ensure our victory. Or they would without our greatest weapon. Control of the air. They don't have a single plate in the air, the swine. Our assault will annihilate them utterly. Take no prisoners today, except one, to tell the rest what happened. Well done, soldiers. Our opposition is finished. Novan remains to oppose our final solution to this problem of malice. My calculations are correct. When this baby hits 88 miles per hour, you're gonna see some serious shit. Three, two, one! RPGs from the 1980s right up through yesteryear. Brought to you by the staff of RPGamer.com, we tackle the good, the bad, and the ugly games from nearly 30 years of RPG history. So sit down and hold on tight. Your next adventure is about to begin. Here are the hosts of RPG Backtrack, Phil Willis and Mike Minky. And welcome to RPG Backtrack. This is podcast number 99, Fly to the Valkyria. I'm your host, Phil Willis, and this is... Mike Minky, though I will endeavor not to talk too much because some stupid relative gave me a cold in the throat. Mm. And I'll endeavor not to talk too much because I don't know too much about what we're talking about today, except for one of the three, but I don't know about the other two. But we've got other people to help step in the gap. First is Mr. Nathan Schlothen. Always happy to be here and talk about a great game, series of games. Mm. Next up is Mr. Alex Emptier. Yeah, I'll try and stay awake. Oh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna rush you a cup of Starbucks right now. I work at the, uh, yeah. I work at a Sheraton hotel, and one of the perks is we have a Starbucks right there in the lobby. It's very convenient. It kept me I up. Yeah, I have two cans of Relentless, so hopefully that will last me. There you go. He'll be bouncing off the walls. Bing, 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 bing. All right. And last, but most certainly not least, it's Mr. Michael Apples. That's apps. Apples? Apps. Apples? Apps. apples? Oranges. Oranges. Apps. Michael Oranges. Yes. All right. 
Awesome. Well, that's a conversation stopper. Hey, we're gonna be <laughs> we're gonna be uh, we're gonna be talking about uh, trilogy of Valkyria Chronicles games today. Uh, we'll follow that up uh, with a little bit of the blast in the recent past, maybe. Uh, so hold on tight. The fun is about to begin. are here on episode number 99 mr minky we are we are just one step away from the grand centennial mark we are it's just it's just it's mind-blowing it's exciting and i'm excited to be here are you excited to be here mike i am yep oh i have some nyquil in me so the excitement is slightly tempered (laughs) Uh, uh one streak of nyquil the other one's drinking caffeine together they will combine (laughs) they will combine to form mediocre man uh, yeah, he has he has no powers because he is mediocre. Mediocre man. Uh, so alrighty, so let's let's do this. We got a great great trilogy of games here. As we are, uh, this is kind of a, a you know because for our hundredth episode, we're gonna be talking about a lot of really cool old games. No, no, don't, don't tell. Not anybody tell anybody what it is. What it is no, it's a big surprise. <laughs> Actually, what they're all waiting for is to hear what my number one game is. But. Um, Yes. Well, since we since we know it's from the abyss, there can't be any surprise. No, no, it's Dark Spire. Don't lie to people. I thought it was Mugen Souls. <laughs> I, thought it was, I thought your number two was going to be Cross Edge. We were going to hear all about it tonight. Oh, Ooh, no. Mike, oh. you cut me to the quick. It, it's almost as if Cross Edge does not belong anywhere near your top ten list, but that couldn't be. Well, it is actually my top ten list of really bad games. All right. So, but let's 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 get away from the negativity and focus on the positivity. By talking about Valkyria Chronicles, this was developed by Sega Wow, published by Sega for your PlayStation 3, released in North America on November the, November the 4th, 2008. This is, and I quote from Wikipedia here, a tactical role-playing real-time tactics third-person shooter single-player experience coming to you on one Blu-ray disc in gorgeous high-definition anime. That was how many classifications from wikipedia tactical role-playing real-time tactics third-person shooter is it tactics twice you know it does i just (laughs) you know just i sent Uh, a wiki page that might need an edit (laughs) couldn't they put it as tactical squared role-playing real-time third-person shooter Mm, mm, maybe i guess that's differentiate the two types of tactics (laughs) well yeah 
We'll you you never yeah. want to mistake those for each other. That... Real-time tactical and other kind of tactical obviously have nothing whatsoever to do with each other. Well, totally. <laughs> the, the cool thing is is that as jumbled and messed up as that description sounds, it actually isn't too far off the mark. It's totally true. It, it's it's just, that's how crazy this game is. That's right. It's crazy. But does it work? Oh, yes. Yes, it does. All right. So, uh, but let's start off, as we start off with most of the games we talk about, talking about the uh, plot and the story. Who would like to kick that off? I guess I'll take that. Um, the story is that the... Damn, it's been too long. What's the name of the Empire? <laughs> the name of the... Uh, <laughs> the uh, let's see. Okay. Uh, the East European Imperial Alliance is in the East, and uh, Commonwealth of Alliant Democracy, known as the Atlantic Federation, is in the West. Yeah, so, and in the middle is the small, um, I guess, Duchy? Republic? Hmm. Well, Gallia. Just, Gallia, yes. I mean, here, mm-hmm. Gallia is just the homeland of, well, the main characters. It's just the small, I guess, kind of, it's like Switzerland or Belgium, like the small country it's, in the middle Belgium. of the, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the small country in the middle of the continent that doesn't really want anything to do with the war, but it's kind of like right in the middle of it, so yeah. Just, yeah, that's Belgium. <laughs> yeah. And the tanks come rolling in when the Empire decides to invade them to get their to get at their massive supplies of, of this material called ragnite, which is basically this glowing blue rock, which is basically the source of all energy for the industrialized civilization of their society. And, yeah, so they've got a rich supply of ragnite, so the Empire invades to get that ragnite, and so begins their war. The Belgian begins, parallel kind of fell apart there. Yeah, it's like, Belgium, like if Belgium was sitting on giant oil reserves that it was wanted, rather yeah, than just being the way. I was just going to say, just imagine Germany invading invading Belgium for oil. Yeah, that's basically the basic idea. Yeah. So this is basically like um, fantasy anime war two. Pretty much. I guess would be a good description. Do we have a Hitler counterpart, or is that just sidestepped? Um, there's a great Hitler counterpart in the next game, but it's it's sort of a mixture of Hitler and the sort of World War One Germany. Yeah, it's kind of more a lot of like the old Empire, Austria, Hungary Empire kind of stuff in addition to just Germany. Mm, okay. Yeah, so it's not like they just took the actual countries and gave them an anime coding and kind of hid it behind different layers. It's a bit different. It's not in, in like an exact parallel. Yeah, it's kind of overall a little bit more like a, somewhere between World War One and World War Two in terms of the tone rather than just fight World War Two. Yeah. Does that mean you have to cope with machine gunners who can mow you down in an instant? Hell yeah. Yes. Okay. <laughs> Well, that fits with World War One. Mm. Though it's probably a lot more fun to do it here than it would be to go over the top and get killed. Yeah, though there is a lot of going over the top and trenches and getting killed. It can be kind of frustrating. <laughs> yeah. I would state the year the game's actually in is sort of uh, 1936. No, 35. Ah, so... Um, well, only on a slightly different calendar, of course. It's easy. Yeah, that ma- 1935 makes me think of the Italians beating up Ethiopia. <laughs> Which has a no, no parallel here, I'm sure. <laughs> no. <laughs> okay. Uh, I don't think I should go with the historical talks too much here. Otherwise, we'll really get derailed. So maybe yeah. we should talk about the characters. Yes. Are there some good okay. characters that are memorable here, guys? Quite a few, including a lot of surprisingly minor characters just to get in your mind. There's a, um, basically... In this game, you get up a lot of soldiers, and kind of like the Fire Emblem series, every last one of them is an actual character rather than just a generic grunt. So, an entire list of army, entire army is made up of people who are kind of interesting. You don't get them fleshed out, but a lot of them are pretty interesting nonetheless, with what little info you have on them. Um, let's see. The main hero is Wilkin Gunther, the 
He's the son of the famous general from the First World War, uh, first big European war, European war that raged across the continent. But he himself is just a college student, a college student who happens to have a tank sitting in his barn, but a college student nonetheless. <laughs> and he loves insects. And he's obsessed and with insects and nature yes. in general. He's kind of crazy, but in a good way. Um, he has an adoptive younger sister named Isara, who happens to be of a minority called the Darksins, which are kind of the big oppressed minority that are in Europa. And huh? uh, she's the she's actually the daughter of the maiden assistant mechanic who worked with his father, but it's adopted into his family after her father died. And basically, these two are just kind of chilling out in their hometown when you know the tanks come rolling in and. And, and there they get kind of roped in to help the local militia to defend it against the invading empire. And that's how the game begins, with Welkin hopping in his tank and rolling it out and steamrolling the invading empire while the, the militia tries to hold off the infantry. And that's about it for the start. Uh, mm. uh, someone else want to talk about characters? I'm flanking on names, so I'm no good at this. Uh, wait a minute. I seem to recall that uh, Vice and Aika show up somewhere in this game. Yeah, the two characters from, two main characters, for, and Fina as well, though, that's, she's somewhat different, but the, the three main characters from Skies of Arcadia all show up in this game as usable allies. Fina's a bit odd because she's not actually controllable, she's the medic you summon in whenever you, an ally gets down, but yeah, she's still in. Yeah, the Fina character, there's actually three of them. Yeah, there's, there's a set of triplets, so, yeah, or something. Okay. Well, I see one at a time, though, but... Yeah. <laughs> I didn't realize she was a character of Skies. Yeah, it's a lot obvious at first, but she's also the only one of those three to get a talking role in the game, so outside of <laughs> Battle Jet. Mm. Oh, yeah, I forgot about that bit. <laughs> um, there's also Alicia, who's kind of like the secondary main character that they meet early on. Did you already mention her? Not quite, yeah. She's part, okay. of, the, she's part of the militia guarding the town at the beginning. Yeah. Uh, yeah, she's, well... Basically, a soldier working with you, your best scout and officer in the army squad you eventually join. But um, she's notable as one, she's Wilkins' main love interest, kind of down to earth girl who dreams of being a baker. And as it's later revealed, she's a Valkyria, a kind of special warrior who has the power to, you know, annihilate tanks by looking at them practically. <laughs> but we'll get to that part a little later. So, um, what would be like the, the element or two that would compare to the Valkyria? Valkyria people? Nuclear bombs? Ah, uh, yes. That actually makes sense. It wouldn't be far past describing Valkyria's like, living nuclear weapons in terms of how powerful. Yeah. I think so the first do, we, we... do we see any cities go up in flashes of mushroom cloud light? Yeah, actually. Uh, okay. Well, it wasn't necessarily a city, but an army does. That's enough. An army has a lot of people in it. True. Happy armies. What about um, if y'all... Can't, uh, if y'all don't have anything else about the heroes, what about uh, maybe the villains? Um, well, there's so much more about the heroes. Oh, well, there's keep on then. Keep on. <laughs> as I said, there's like, you, eventually the characters join a squad in the overall Galleon militia, and every last character is interesting in here. There's a lot of them. Mm -hmm. Everyone from Edie, the girl whose dreams of being a pop idol, but is a terrible singer, who's also ridiculously popular and got her own DLC content, or... <laughs> Uh, the crazy guy, uh, the crazy ma engineer Homer, who is a total masochist, but isn't utterly useless for most of the game, but if you get his best skill, he's unkillable. Or, oh yeah, that's the thing. Every character has a, their own set of potential skills and battle skills, which are just, like, this person hates running, hates dirt, so if you stand on dirt, they get lower stats. Or they <laughs> liking a firefight, so the people are shooting at them, they become stronger. 
and all kinds of stuff like that that gives them a lot of personality that plays out in the actual mechanics of the game. That I really love that system. Mm. Yeah. I mean, outside of um, I think Welkin, Asava, and Alicia, there's sort of a couple. There's sort of there's a few sort of supporting main characters as well. I mean, you've got Rosie who actually can sing. And there's Largo as well, who's sort of the experienced guy who really loves veggies. So. Yeah, loves <laughs> to be farmer. So he's... yeah, there's also sort of a couple of non-player characters like Faudio, who's Welkin's sort of friend from sort of friends from school, who's is in charge of a different squad. So there's and a the got, hefty uh, cast of actual important characters as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, senior commanders and so yes. forth. Yeah, just the overall cast. You mentioned really Fire Emblem yeah. as sort of a comparison for the level of uh, character numbers, Nathan. Would you? Is there any comp? Is there any equivalent to the support conversations that you get in later Fire Emblems for fleshing people out who don't necessarily get a lot of screen Not time in this the game. story? Not this game, okay. sadly. In this game, you, most you get is just the character. Each character is a bio entry, which as you build them up, you unlock extra paragraphs describing them and their story. You beat the game to get the final paragraph. So that's about all you get in this game. Later ones are better at this, but this one, that's how it is. Okay. Uh, yeah, there's a few sort of side things, but they mostly concentrate on the main cast. Yeah, this game is really focused on its main cast, which is a really good main cast. I like that. And, well, as I said, there's also a DLC chapter focusing on a couple of the minor characters, which flesh them out a little bit more, but that's its own thing. Gotcha. I mean, the secondary characters can die too, right? Yeah, the permadeath is in this game. If you if a character gets shot and either an enemy reaches them or they just have too many turns pass, they'll just die permanently, and that's it. Yeah, it's. I mean, it's a bit. It's not like Fire Emblem where it's like a constant worry, but it can happen if you're not careful. Yeah, characters drop all the time. And it's it's very rare for them to be put in a situation they're really at risk of dying, even with that. But do you me say that? Talk about mentioning Vice earlier. He died more than anyone else in the game because he just. <laughs> I don't know why, but he's always getting shot and killed. Always. Well, it's Fino Vi- Vice medic. is wielding cutlasses and not any kind of gun, which... Or is he wielding a gun on... He's a machine gun, right? That's, that's, uh, he's he, a he's, yeah, he sort of acts as a normal soldier in, in terms of mechanics. Okay. Although, what does, does Aiko use? Uh, she's a scout. He uses a long-range rifle. Okay. It was quite tempting to have a Vice leading the charge, though, so that might be a good reason. Mm-hmm. Also, uh, I've forgotten about clearly the most important character, which is Hans. <laughs> Hans is a poor cave-in, which is basically a pig with wings. Yes. <laughs> and more or less the squad mascot. Yeah. <laughs> a little good bit, a little bit of comedic relief at times. You know, this game isn't always exactly pleasant as far as story. As yeah. It, as it should not be, since this is about war. Yeah, it's a war story. It's got its really sad moments. Just unfairly yes. sad. Oh man, I hate that one scene. <laughs> well, we we are on the backtrack. I guess if we put in the the proviso that people who really really want to experience the sad scene for themselves should stop listening for a few seconds now. Go ahead and spoil it, Nathan. Do it. The main character is Sarah, younger sister Sarah. In the middle of your victory over a battlefield scene, gets shot by a sniper out of the blue and just dies. Oh dear. And yeah. she was no kind of combatant, right? No, she's actually the tank driver for your okay. tank. She's a really cool character. I really liked her, and then she just dies, and it's really sad. Okay, that, that carries a different feel to it than if she were, I don't know, a 12-year-old who was just playing in a meadow and got shot by a sniper. But it does... <laughs> <laughs> Which, you know, could happen, given this setting. Yeah. True. I, don't, I don't think anything like that ever happens in this game, though. 
Though we're probably not going to see anything like the Eastern Front, where, well, that's where the Germans and the Soviets, when they went back and forth, would kill everybody who had done anything on either side. And that I think there were about 30 million dead in the Soviet Union by the end of the war. Yeah. Yeah. Things aren't quite that bad. <laughs> <laughs> and we don't have anything... Qu- that big. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's good if your country doesn't have enough people that it can experience a catastrophe on that scale? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, for the most part the there's no, not that much in the way of horrible war crimes going on in this game, which is kind of a mercy, even though it's a World War II analog. There are the people of the Darksons who are kind of oppressed, but you mostly see them thrown in labor camps rather than, you know, genocided. Executed, or, yeah, yeah thrown into yeah. death camps. I mean, yeah, there's so oppression, but in an intolerance, but nothing in the way of anything too horrible. Yeah, it, it can be dark at times, but it's not quite um, on the level of the horrible actual reality. On the level of, say, Schindler's List. Yeah. Yeah. Well, okay, so it's lighter than the Holocaust. That's that's setting yeah. the bar very high. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's... I mean, it is a game. I suppose you don't want to be playing the worst possible thing, you know? Yeah. Yeah. You know what I mean? When you're, playing should... a... <laughs> when you're playing a war game, you don't want it to be quite that realistic. Yeah. More more John Wayne war movie than Saving Private Ryan. Yeah. We are. This, is, this is a game where, in which you know, whenever your characters score a critical hit in the enemy's head, they turn around and they just smile for the camera and they kind of cute pose. So. Yeah. <laughs> well, that that actually fits with how some snipers behave, but I don't know if we want to get into that. <laughs> yeah. One thing that's quite interesting is basically how it sort of sets up telling the story because it's sort of through a mixture of a book and newspaper how it actually displays story stuff on the front page so as you sort of unlock it the sort of the book gets filled up with new events yeah major characters you're you're being followed by a reporter for most of the game who's doing sort of story of the war by following the squad and she's basically a big narrator for the game it's basically the entire game is basically told from the story of this is her book now you're reading it what you just described Alex reminds me of you know that old news, that old movie cliche where newspaper headlines spin out of nowhere to tell you the story. Is that kind of like that? Similar? Okay. Yeah, it, it didn't really have the headlines, but it sort of had all the sort of images of the scenes and sort of few bits. It was quite cool in that. Was, did it have headlines? I'm confused. That does <laughs> it might have done. Cool. Yeah, but that no, was a very yeah. interesting way to show it on the UI anyway. Mm-hmm. It, yeah, and that kind of the kind of book theme pervades. Sort of everything about the graphics, really, and the whole way everything is presented. Yeah, the, the whole the graphics are amazing. This game. Man. Oh yeah. Just, the whole like things have kind of like they kind of look sketchy at first, and suddenly transforms to brilliantly colorful animated scene. And uh, this transitions between the the map and normally is kind of, you see a very distant like you're looking at a map on a table in a room. Then you click on a thing and it zooms in. Suddenly you're controlling a real time character in a well illustrated thing that's just completely seamless. There it really works well. Yeah, it's very very well done. And you know that, that just that little effect there is something I missed in the PSP games. Yeah, it's a little thing, but it's a nice touch. Yeah. 
Other nice touches, like you know, the kind of animated text for the all the sound effects, like the rat a tat tat text on screen. Yes. Yeah. And stuff. Yeah, that cross hatching was super. I'm sitting here talking to myself because I'm on mute, but yeah, the cross hatching. <laughs> I'm I, you know, I draw you know comics in my spare time that I don't have anymore, but um, you know, so I've studied a lot of different comic art styles, and cross hatching was a common way to do shading. You know, way back in the day where you didn't have a lot of colors on your printers, uh, so you know, you draw you know just a bunch of lines in a crisscross formation where shade would normally be at and i mean that's a very old school style from decades ago and and the fact that they had that you know in there on the characters just in real time with cell shaded graphics just a plasma tv and it was one of the first games i had on the playstation 3 that just really showed off what you know a plasma tv could do now i will only ask this as this is now about five years old the ps3 has seen further graphical enhancements to its titles does any part of this fail to impress currently, or is it all just as good as it was when you first saw the game? It's just as good. You, you, it's okay. just a great-looking game. The, yeah. I mean... There's nothing else that looks like it. You could you could compare it maybe, uh, you know, but it would be slightly different styles to maybe a, a Ninu Kuni or a Borderlands 2. But, it, you know, those games are much newer, but this one stands right next to them. Just high-quality, high-contrast, stylized, cell-shaded, you know, type of graphics that just absolutely stand the test of time. Yeah, I mean, I've got it running right now, and it just... You know. The screenshots don't even do it just... you got to see it in yeah. motion on, on your Plasma TV. Uh, I'm sure if you went and watched YouTube videos, unless they were the super, you know, high-quality setting, you just, you're not getting the full appreciation for it. It's just, they just don't do it justice. Yeah, it, it really doesn't. And so the sequel went to the PSP, of course. Well, we'll get to that. Yeah. <laughs> we'll get to that. While we're on the graphics, I actually want to mention the art books of this game, because it's... It's quite hefty and it's awesome. It's, it's about it's basically 484 pages. Is the other game? It, it, it's got information about almost everything. All the characters get bios. I mean, Hans has two pages dedicated to him. Now, did that come out out of Japan or did you import it? No, this has been localized and released in worldwide oh, cool. by I think Udon Entertainment. Wow, that is impressive. Yeah, excellent. Yeah, it's also not the only one out there, but we'll sort of get to that later. There are okay. other Valkyria Chronicles art books as well. I'm going to have to try and pick that one up. Mm. Yeah, it's got tons of info about story, development, sort of tank, all the tank as well. Get them in. Excellent. Cool, cool. Stuff. Um, so, yeah, graphics are really good. Music? I, l- oh, I like from the same people. Go ahead. Uh, just the music's the same composer, I believe, who did Fallacy Tactics, so it sounds yes. a lot like that, or Tactics Ogre. So it, sounds, it basically sounds exactly the same to me, so it, as much as you, if you like those songs, you'll like this game soundtrack. Yeah, it definitely has that kind of his familiar style. Not that that's necessarily a bad thing if you like that style. It's it's quite good. And uh, one, one nice change I like that they made the Western version is, I guess, the original opening animation in the Japanese version had some kind of j-pop song associated with it and then our version they put in like a nice orchestral score which i think actually fits it better it's a nice little touch j-pop makes me think of a lot of things but it doesn't make me think of 1930s europe yeah it's it's just it when i actually watched like the original opening animation it almost seemed inappropriate but yeah it, that's just a nice little touch and kind of the localized localization in general is quite good quite good well, that's actually par for the course, because Sega, in my experience, does do very good localizations. Oh, yeah. And um, there's definitely nothing I can really complain about at all on this one. Well, uh, well, uh, 
I'm sorry, aside from Shining Force Neo, we'll get to that today. Yeah, that's that's another story. Uh, do we have any voice acting? Yes. Yeah, it's fully voice acted. Yeah. A lot of mid-battle voice acting, every story scene is voice acting. I think most stories, I can't remember if everyone is. A lot of it is. Yeah, I think most of them are. Now that's a subject Sega has proven challenged in handling in the past. How does it work here? <laughs> Uh, works well to me. Okay. Yeah. I don't yeah, yeah, very solid cast. I mean, again, I'm thinking of Shining Force Neo. You gotta get your head, head out of Shining Neo. But it's a Sega localization. I know, I know. That was, was years ago. We gotta let it go. Most of, us, most of what I remember about the voice acting is John DiMaggio's Yan, the rather camp dancer. Oh, I didn't realize that was. Yeah. Oh, wow, that, that's cool. Hmm. Kind of shows up in some surprising places sometimes. Okay, so let's uh, let's move over to the before mentioned uh, mixed salad uh, that's called gameplay here. Yes, lots of ingredients, what, what, one big bowl. What was the description again? It's a big salad. It's just a mixed salad of different things. I would say don't don't if you say big salad, Phil, we all think of Seinfeld. Yeah, I would say I would say it's a peanut butter and jelly sandwich, but that implies only two different ingredients working together. Really, I guess the bread's a third ingredient, but people always think about the peanut butter <laughs> and jelly. They don't think about the bread being part of that. This is like a salad or a soup. Oh. It's just got everything in the pot. <laughs> So, um, this, uh, I'll, I'll talk a little bit as far as just the, some, from a mechanical standpoint of what, uh, what's involved here, uh, since, uh, everyone knows gameplay is always my focus. Um, but I will say the graphics, man, <laughs> just, uh, we talk, Ooh. I, I just, again, I'm just having an orgasm. It's just, it's that good. It's just, you, you gotta, oh, the sketchy watercolor style with the with hash bar. Oh, it's so good. Anyway, um, <laughs> I, I can just, yeah, I can just stare at it playing all the time. Anywho. Uh, so, you know, it definitely is right when we say it's it's a tactical game, it's a strategy game, it's a first-person shooter game, and it's an RPG. It, it does all of these. So, uh, at the uh, at the beginning of a fight, uh, your characters will be on the battlefield, and you'll see... I, again, it's been a few years, guys, so if I'm saying something, you know, wrong here in my technical description, feel free to correct me. But uh, you'll see a kind of like a mini-map or a map of the, you know, of the battleground with, you know, icons for your characters, blue icons or whatever and reds the enemy uh, so you have an idea of the lay of the land and where the enemies are at most of the battles the objective there is to capture the enemy flag that's in their base um, or something along those lines uh, sometimes it'll be something else like beat the beat the BBEG or or kill the tank or whatever the deal may be yeah there's usually sort, sort of three what's that main, there's usually sort of three main goals which either mm. defeat everyone defeat a certain person or capture something capture that flag yeah usually the main ones yeah, yeah. so yeah, what's interesting is that you've got a number of, and I don't remember what the technical term is, but I remember it was a bunch of command tokens, the way I remembered them. So generally you got one command points, command points sure, yeah. that'll points work, action like points, yeah. sure, and yeah, points, you yeah. get like one for each each of your guys who are alive on your, you know, who, who's still standing. Um, so essentially you could just about move all of your soldiers once. Uh, tanks take two command tokens, I think, to, or command points to, to, to utilize. So you might have to leave one guy behind if you're using a tank, I, I think. But for the most part, I remember getting one per person. 
And you could sit there and move, you know, each person once, or you can actually move one person several times. Uh, if you move one person several times, the more times you keep choosing that person, one. Uh, so once you pick a person, like, oh my gosh, the, see, the more you talk about it, the more convoluted it gets. Once you choose a person <laughs> to move them, unlike a tactical RPG where you might then at that point start moving them a number of squares and then maybe do an attack at the end. And this one, that's where the character will suddenly zoom in behind the, ca- the zoom in on the battle behind the character, and now you've got on into is it first person or third person Okay. Third person when moving. Third person when moving. Got it. So, right, right. And then first person when shooting. Sure, sure. So, um, the camera will come up right behind you. You'll start running around. Uh, You'll see a bar at the bottom or at the top or somewhere that shows you roughly how much further you can continue to run and still shoot, I think. What was it? Uh, You could shoot once. It's just how far you can run. Run. Shoot once at any point. And then, yeah, the bar is just how far you can run. Yeah, yeah. So, exactly. Um, so the more times you – so there's this bar, and scouts have a much longer bar than, let's say, the, the grenadier guys or whatever they're called, the bazooka guys who can take down tanks. Um, who are, Yeah. Who, Lancers. Lancers who are carrying around the heavy weaponry. So the scouts are your fast guys. But they're also, uh, they're also some of the easiest to take down if they get caught in the wrong place at the wrong time. So it's kind of interesting. The more times you pick on that one guy in a single turn and use command points to maybe push him a little further or maybe to pull back on when you realize you've gone too far ahead um, and you've shot you know, somebody and they didn't die like you were hoping they were, uh, then the next time you pick them, you get less movement. And the more times you pick them, the less movement you get. So you can spend a lot of your command points, but that one person, you know, won't won't be able to move like five times his normal distance. He might, if you, use, if you pick him five times, he might be able to move two or two and a half times his total distance total, just give or take. Um, this is actually part of the strategy of the game because if the if the command is to go capture the enemy flag, uh, sometimes you can just keep picking your scout and make a run for it. Like, did you have to clear the enemies around the flag before you can capture it? Yeah, you can't capture yeah. a flag unless all enemies in the base are clear. Right. So what I would the base is the square. And you need to, you know, right. kill enemies in the in square. The square. And what I would do is I would just, I would, uh, there was a number of boards where I could just take my scout, uh, get him a few moves, uh, you know, just use a few moves to get him to that enemy square, and then throw a grenade or two and usually cleared most most things out. Yeah, the thing is, scouts are kind of broken in this game. It's like, they're only good at one thing, but that one thing is winning the game. Yeah, 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 yeah so it's pretty funny. Um, but that's, uh, but, and then, so, so when you go to attack somebody with, let's, for, uh, with the machine gun, or probably grenades works the same way. That's where it zooms into the first person view now. And you can sit there and aim the gun real carefully. And if you hit the guy's head, uh, you'll do critical damage. Otherwise, you know, anywhere else does a standard amount of damage based on your statistic or whatever for that character. Um, And uh, I think that's the basic mechanics. Can you... Let me just think if there's anything yeah. I'm missing. I mean, there's medics well, who can worth, heal. Yeah, yeah. It's worth mentioning while you're moving, people can shoot at you. Oh, right. It's kind of like the. It's kind of like the <laughs> interception fire. Yeah, it's kind of like the Overwatch. It's kind of like the Overwatch in XCOM. Um, and actually, it's except it's constantly on. Yeah, as soon as you move into too close to an enemy, and this can be very deadly if your scout runs in front of somebody who has a machine gun. Uh, you. Hang. Oh, yeah. That you can see. You can see one of your guys get killed off really fast if you get sloppy. So you do have to. Kind of be aware. Does it? Does it give you some sort of inclination that you're getting close? Do you see like? Well, a, just, 
You know, uh, is it, nope. if you just walk into the range to shoot at you, that's your warning. That's your warning. It's, okay, got it. It's, the enemy yeah. at H class only has a certain fixed area it can shoot at. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, scouts can hit a wide area, but shock troopers can only shoot forward. and that kind of, You need to pay attention to that kind of thing when you're moving around. Yeah, you're sort of expected to know what the enemy positions are likely to be, so it's your own fault if you run into this place. I mean, after all, your own units can interception fire themselves and the enemies will move around, so you should know these positions to save your own defense formation. Mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, so that's kind of the base mechanics of the game. Now, the the as you're playing through the main campaign, um, the story the story battles differ, you know, pretty decently from each other. Um, and you can't, if I remember correctly, once you beat a story mission, you cannot replay that mission directly. But a lot of times, it'll it'll add, um, enable you to play skirmishes um, in those maps or unlock skirmish maps or something like those ways. So you do have a way to grind, you know, levels for your classes if you need to. This is class-based leveling, right? Yeah, yes. the leveling in this game is really one of the things that's innovative and nice is that as you build up experience, the experience goes to your class. Mm -hmm. Actually, no, it just, you build up experience, it just builds into a big pool. Then you can go to the drill instructor who then you can spend this experience like currency to level up classes. Once a class is leveled up, everyone, a character of that class gets that upgrade equally. So you can build up your whole army with regardless of who you've sent into battle. Yeah, kind of like the and similar sim, similar to the newer Ogre Battle iteration that was on the PSP. You're leveling. Yeah, I have a lot of ideas from Valkyrie Chronicles. Yeah, really darn Ogre Battle ripping off good ideas. What were they thinking? Um, so yeah, that was pretty cool, and that's part of the leveling up process. Uh, you can also, as far as the RPG side of it, uh, that's more in the character development and how you are dumping that experience into the different classes. And also, I think you can either was it buy them weapons or upgrade their weapons or something along those lines. You can upgrade tanks and buy weapons that you can then equip on various characters. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of where the RPG feel kind of comes into play because you're building your team and you're outfitting them and um, pumping that experience and strategizing how this team is going to work well together. That's what gives it a very in a similar yeah. way that XCOM you know Enemy Unknown gives you an RPG feeling. You start getting attached to these characters because you're spending that time, substantial time in between those scenarios thinking okay well you know this class could really use you know the XP upgrade but I'm and I got this you know weapon I want to you know upgrade it on this guy or uh, put that money into my tank or whatever so also this is a really strategic element of taking advantage of various characters potentials and battle skills which they unlock which just the more you, the one thing that you can build up by just using the characters is their battle skills mm. which, you know, it's like, if you like one they can only get by building them up I think or maybe a few more I can't remember but mm -hmm, mm -hmm. that's the only thing that actually matters for deploying individual characters and some of these are really powerful skills Hmm. You need to just put, using them wisely is always a valuable thing. Mm -hmm. There's also the point of that you have the broad command powers. So you can do mid battle by spending a couple of points. You can like you, like everyone defend, which boosts the defense of every person. The cost of you know a few people moving that turn. So, and you can need experience to buy these com these various commands from these. I guess they're orders. They're called yeah, orders from a veteran soldier in your base. You gotta do like, do I want to spend the experience to get a class, or do I want to spend the experience to get a better order? Usually classes are better since orders are kind of bad most of the time, but... what What's kind of bad? Orders as a whole. Orders. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. Like, they kind of, you kind of forget they're there because they're just not as worth it as moving the scouts. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. True. I almost feel like they should have had some other, like, points to for using those. Yeah. Because, I mean, so most of really the time... Yeah, most of the time you're not going to want to waste moving a unit for probably a relatively minor benefit. I mean, it's hard enough just to find you spending the two points to move your tank. Oh, that's your yeah. Tank. Stop yeah. Oh, yeah. No, you're absolutely right. You're always, when it comes to those two points on the tank, it's like, you're, am I, is this really going to, yeah, no, I, exactly. 
opportunity cost is definitely you know a part of that uh we talked about the scout being really good but in in, in the various boards where the scout is, you know cannot really be utilized as a as a win winning strategy uh and you start you know looking at these other you know tools that you have in your disposal deciding where to spend you know in most tactical games you're just gonna you know each guy's gonna move once and once you've moved each guy like in fire emblem once you've moved each guy once you're done i mean there's some games that are more strict in fire emblem you get to pick which order you're gonna move your guys in i believe um but uh you know in more straight games like you know old-fashioned dungeon dragons or whatever have you it's based on initiative so once once i you know when it's bob's turn i'm focused on bob and the the only strategic consideration I have at that point in time in the game is what am I going to do with Bob? In Fire Emblem, when it's my turn, the strategy options seem larger because do I move the mage first and attack with the mage first or do I do the fire? I got that in, in Valkyria Chronicles. It's even a larger playing field because you don't you're not limited by the fact that you can just only move each character once. You can move one character multiple times, or you can spend up two of those command points to move your more powerful, you know, tank unit, knowing that the opportunity cost is going to be a couple of your characters are gonna to have to stay behind or not be able to move that turn. Uh so there's a lot more you know, strategic depth thinking that can go on there because of all these, you know, options you have. Yeah, I really love that about the game. And it's so many different things. Like, you know, sometimes you want to scout rush. Other times you want to use your lancers to take out a tank. Sometimes you want to use your snipers to take out enemy snipers. Sometimes you want to go crazy and bet your lancer can hit a sniper at long distance, which works surprisingly <laughs> well, even though it shouldn't. Or sometimes you just want to plow in your secondary tank and destroy a bunch of anti-tank things with a flamethrower sweep. That flamethrower is just broken. Hmm. I love flame tanks. I'm glad that we never used them. <laughs> so... Uh, that, yeah, that would be bad. <laughs> one of the things that happens, so uh, yeah, and those are really cool. In the story modes, what happens though sometimes is some of the story missions, um, you, in, in a skirmish mission, you look at the battlefield, you see what's there, you see what the enemy classes are, you know what your classes are, you start strategizing in your head. Okay, flame tank's good against this. Everything you're just saying, that starts going through your head. You start acting on that, and when it pans out really good, it's a great feeling satisfaction. I mean, that's one of the main draws of your tactical RPGs. In some of the story modes, that works out really good too. Sometimes, occasionally though, you might go for that, you know, you might put your your Lancer or whatever out there on the line. You get that lucky hit you were hoping to get. But some of the story missions have things that happen at certain turns where suddenly, oh, a big enemy shows up on the scene. And suddenly the objectives change or the, the, the battlefield changes because of this, you know, this is what's going on in the story at this moment. And suddenly that guy you got out there is right next to the BBEG and it's their turn. And so that that's some some you're going to get that in story missions. They kind of mix things up by keeping in your toes by having these little you know, sometimes surprises that that the first time it happens, it'll it'll totally knock you off your. It could knock you off your feet and cause somebody to be dead, and then you'll be like, okay, I'm gonna have to. Yeah, for me, anyways, because I don't like to see people die. <laughs> I'm like, okay, I'm gonna hit reset and do it again, knowing now on turn eight the BBEG is gonna pop right here in the middle of the field. So on turn seven, I'm gonna make sure I don't have anybody close to that. And now I can, you know, now that I have that knowledge, that foreknowledge, I can kind of deal with that. And that's yeah, I really abused that on a certain map where two powerful tanks come out of nowhere. <laughs> I had like a lancer waiting right out that corner where those tanks appear. Yeah, it's like, you know, like the tank, you know, the lancer scene right behind where the tank spawns up so you can put it right in the glowing blue radiator. Yeah, yeah, it's like yeah. the big tank's like, I'm going to kick y'all's ass. I just appeared on the left side of the screen. My lancer says, have a good night. <laughs> yeah, I actually like that about the game because there's so much 
things happen, but also plan for it if you're having trouble. So it's winnable if you don't plan for it, but easier if you do. Uh, I mean, there's always things that can surprise you and things are changing, but sometimes they're predictable. I mean, it's a fun game. I, I really like a lot of its maps because they're so interesting in that regard. Makes it not great for play playthroughs, multiple playthroughs, but. Yeah, I mean, I'll definitely say if you're, when it comes to some of those story missions, I think once you get past like the seventh or eighth scenario, you can kind of start expecting some of those weird things to prop up. And if you're a strategy, you know, enthusiast who gets easily frustrated when you have this grand strategy, and then there's a, I mean, for lack of a better word, it's, it's, I won't say it's a deus ex machina, but it seems kind of close sometimes when that BBEG is just plopped in the middle of a battlefield or that tank that was totally unexpected pops in left field. And and if that's going to frustrate you, there's a really easy solution, you know, just kind of read the first paragraph of an FAQ, you know, and you know that's going to happen on turn eight, and now you can strategize around that, or you could just go through it, waste 30 minutes on it, which is what happened to me a couple times, and then, okay, now you know it's going to happen because you saw it happen, and yeah, now... so the game isn't quite so hard. You need to read a, a fact in order to get through any of them. Because so, they die when but, they die, don't you? It, they don't come back, right? Well, yeah, but that's only if they, you know, they sit there unassisted for three turns without using order to save them or send you out. To oh, the right, right. It's a three order. It's the three round. Yeah, it's a three round rule. Yeah. That's right. Um, it's pretty generous. But you're, so. but now you're down those CPs, right? Did, yeah, you're down the CPs, so it slows you down, so you're not going to get the S rank. Hmm. Or is it only got the A rank? I can't remember in this game. I think it goes up to S rank. I think okay. it's S rank. That it's one. got the S rank hiding in there. Um, I think we kind of covered all the mechanics, eh? Yeah. Okay. There's one thing I want to sure. complain about for the mechanics here, because I love so much for this game. But there's one thing it completely fails to do. And I don't know why it fails, and that's make Valkyries, make the Valkyria, who are the titles of the game, and to make the story actually, you know, relevant to the gameplay. Yeah. I guess there's, you know, a couple points in the game where Valkyria shoots from the battlefield, and you know they're completely uncillable, invincible. And your only thing to do is avoid them. When you finally get a Valkyrie on your side, she fights the other Valkyrie in a plot scene, and that's it. <laughs> There's... I hated that so much. That's uh, that's funny. Yeah. That's like GM 101. Let the players have that victory. Don't don't yeah. don't take it away from them. That's hilarious. Hmm. So, um, so there's a lot of different uh, moving pieces here. There's a lot of different elements. Um, for the most part, pretty good. Some of them are just outstanding. The artwork. Gosh, have I told you guys how? Good? Anyways, um, yes. so let's uh, let's go around and give everybody, you know, a few minutes or thirty seconds or whatever. You, you can do whatever you want, um, and just say, just get it on the table. You know how awesome this game is, or if you have any reservations, you can say those. But you know, if yeah, let's just uh, who, who, we. So Nathan, you play. This. This, right yep so um, you go first okay favorite moment of the game staring down the final boss who's transformed himself into an artificial valkyrie using the giant machine i'm in my ta- wilkin is in his tank he steps rolls forward with his take and gets charged with the power of his love for his dead sister and the power of the uh, of his love for alicia who stands right next to him he fires a mortar Half the, boss, the final boss's hp goes off in one hit sending me straight to the second phase of the battle it was awesome <laughs> Okay. Uh, what about you, Mr. Fuller? Yeah, I mean, the game's full of uh, great moments like that. I mean, we sort of skipped out on what I was mentioning earlier, but it's got a great cast of villains as well. Sk- skipped out on what? Talk about the villains a bit. Sort of the villains? Mentioned it and then forgot. The villains. Oh, the villains. villains. Well, I told you guys to talk about the villains, but you didn't want to listen to me. Kept gushing <laughs> about the heroes. Yeah, you've got, you've got a good cast of villains there. You've got Maximilian, sort of the main antagonist and the prince. I mean, there's so far. Did you hate the... him when you were done, Alex? Did you really hate him? Can't feel sorry. Yeah. Oh, you felt sorry for him? Yeah, it's more, more pity. Oh, okay. Was there any villains that you really hated? 
That you were glad they got theirs when you polished them off? Yeah, they were actually... less villains and more sort of jackass behind-the-scene oh. characters. Yeah, like the uh, jackass, the army guy who's always taking credit for your stuff, who does, keeps doing stupid things and dragging the rest of the army into his mess. Then he gets blown up big time, and I'm kind of okay with that. I feel sorry for subordinates, but yeah, not him. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, he's got characters like Silvaria, who's the sort of opposition Valkyria, who's sort of a really well-developed villain as well, so fantastic cast throughout from both sides, so mm-hmm. love, love the game. Mm-hmm. Also great visual. Oh my gosh, it's so pretty. <laughs> uh, you know what, actually, I was going to let you guys finish the show, I'm just going to go turn it on and watch the credits. And just watch the opening scene again. Oh, that opening scene. Yeah, it just, oh my gosh. It's just, the game, the graphics are so good. I mean, you almost believe it's just like the, I mean, not that they transition it the way Final Fantasy VII did, but it, it almost feels like that is, like the, the quality graphics you see in a lot of FMVs at the beginning of the game, that's this whole thing throughout the entire thing. I mean, you know, I've played plenty of PlayStation 1, PlayStation 2 games where they have, you know, a really cool hand-drawn anime, you know, beginning with the cool music and stuff to kind of get you pumped up to play the game. And then you hit start, and for the next 40 hours, you're playing something that doesn't look (laughs) nearly that good. And you have to go back and play the—you just—sometimes you hit the reset button just to watch that beginning again, just to remind you why you're trudging through the—you know, Wild Arms did that for me. You know, great really beginning and pumping up in anime and cool drunk, and then I get to the game. But— um, but here, it's like, it's throughout the whole thing. It's, it's the graphics are just, okay. Uh, it's not my turn anyways. It's App's turn. Yeah, I think uh, one thing we didn't maybe cover too much about this game is that the um, AI in this game at times can be kind of terrible. Yeah, it kind of wants to run right into giant wolf bullets. I don't know yes. why. Um, you know, and normally that might be a huge negative, but I feel like the designers of this game seem to have realized how bad their AI was, and they d- designed most of the maps to kind of um, I guess provide some extra challenge so that most of the time the AI like doesn't negatively affect the game. Plus, it's the opposition, so that's okay. Yeah, uh, but I mean that could have been something that really like just destroyed the difficulty balance in the game. And I feel like largely, even though sometimes you see an enemy do something really stupid, where it could have like cost you the whole battle, um, you know, for the most part, uh, there's still some challenge here and. Uh, I feel like they did a really good job of designing designing around that big negative. Yeah, like some of the high difficulty skirmish maps are just kind of mean. Since it's like in the story mode, you were ambushing the enemies, and this time you're completely surrounded and cut off from any reinforcements, and surrounded by like eight tanks and yeah. reinforced enemy positions. Kind of crazy. Hmm. And did I mention how good the graph? Um. Yeah. Yeah. The, yeah. I, I should all say that again. Yeah. Awesome. Oh my gosh. Whoosh. You know, just just as a package, uh, the game just hits like all the high notes. Music, story, fun gameplay. Um. You know, it, creativity. It, yeah, creativity. It it was kind of like one of the first uh killer PlayStation Three exclusives, really. That unfortunately, not enough people bought. Bad people. Uh, that, why didn't they that's all of you listening right uh-huh. now. You're bad, bad people. Bad. <laughs> Unless you bought Unless it. you bought it, then you're okay. Yes. Yeah. And if you didn't buy it, you can get it for under twenty bucks on Amazon, and you should be buying it right now. Yeah. We'll wait. We'll wait. Yeah. Just hit that little pause button you got there, and go and buy it, and then come back and listen to buy us. Because obviously, if you buy it now, then you convince Sega to localize Valkyria Chronicles three. 
Uh, don't give them it. That's not happening. Mm. No. Um. Uh. Yeah. I mean, I'm with y'all for the most part. Um. I'm a little more focused on gameplay aspects of RPGs. So definitely was fascinated by this. You know, uh, the 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 idea of that. Uh, this game is so much different than the other ones. I. Uh, you know, it's it's definitely. It's not only got really awesome visuals and audio. Um. Uh, but the gameplay mechanics that they came up with and and merging these different genres to come together. Uh. Is definitely very very innovative. The idea in and of itself was very innovative. Uh, I think as one of you, I think it was Mr. Apps just pointed out, the execution kind of, you know, lacks in certain areas. The the AI will do you know, some really, you know, silly things um, and waste their command points on you know, sometimes going back and forth or, um, or the such. Um, and I think that, yeah, to address that issue, sometimes they do, and, and this is so funny, I, I study a lot of game design, and, and you talk to people, you know, who who build games, you know, try to build, you know, they play D&D, and they're like, I can do D&D better. I've got so many complaints about D&D, I'm going to make it better. You find out just how difficult game design is if you ever try to build your own game from scratch, even if it's just a pen and paper role-playing game, much less a game like this that has so many different genres and moving pieces working together. So the criticisms I tend to have, it's with that caveat that this is something that's really original and really innovative uh, and the such. But yeah, when you have a um, so what happens is when you are playing a game that's unbalanced, it is a typical GM trick or game master trick who's running a table to throw a couple of extra enemies in to help offset the balance if the players are, you know, whatever, the, or the enemies are stupid. Throw in extra goblins because they're all going to be stupid, you know, type of thing. So that's a typical tactic. The the whole overpowered boss or whatever have you that pops in from time to time, that's a very typical, you know, thing as well. It's a little frustrating if you're a strategy guy, especially, I, I just, there was a couple of times I threw my controller at the screen. I, you know, I just spent 45 minutes at the battle and this big tank just showed up out of nowhere and blew my guy in the back and where, where did he come from he wasn't on the board now he just pops in evil so if you're that kind of person like me who has that particular weakness i just highly recommend the faqs um yeah if you just have no patience at all for that sort of thing um if you can get to them in time and resurrect them though you're right that it is kind of genius in the fact that if you can get to them quick enough uh you can resurrect them and you don't lose that character i'm also one of those anal people that when i play fire emblem i reset it every time i lose somebody that doesn't help yeah same i do that too so i I don't know why i play it on fire emblem awakening on classic mode why why do we do it it's like a sickness i do it too man (laughs) i I know that i hate it when somebody dies i'm gonna reset and get pissed that i lost 30 minutes but at the same time i pick that option too why yeah like I haven't been able to beat Fire Emblem Awakening for that very reason. Yeah. Like, I'm stuck in the final battles because I lose too many people. Lose, yeah. <laughs> and you know they're dead permanently, and yet we choose that option even though we know we're going to, yeah. So, um, yeah, so this this will kind of do that to you, you know, to you too as well. Uh, uh, that's the old, I mean, I think that's where, you know, Fire Emblem is a little bit better in my opinion as far as, as, far as my enjoyment goes because when I do die, it's all, it almost always feels like it's my fault. It always felt like I should have known he could move there. I could have highlighted him and known that's what he's going to do. I know what that class can do to this class. I know what the weaknesses and strengths yeah, are. Yeah, well, I don't know. Fire Emblem sometimes has the same thing of reinforcements coming in and really messing you up. Like that one mission from... Path of Radiance that always got me with the e. ravens coming in on the boat. Yeah, yeah, and that's and that happens, and, and that doesn't make you know make that right. It's just it's just more. It doesn't do it as often. It's just once in a while. But yeah, well, I just, I don't have the complaints about reinforcements that you do. So if, if they're yeah, if I'm okay if they're coming in on the opposite side of the screen when they come in from the back where my wizard was at, 
it's it makes me a little cranky i mean yeah and and yeah it's or it pops up in the middle of the group all of a sudden teleports in it starts wiping out the first person with his first turn before i had a chance to react anywho but at the same time it is pretty it is not a bad bad game at all it's just understand there's a couple of shortcomings there and the fact that what one of the things i've always said is i like original i give games points for being original in this day and age after we've had 30 years of rpgs uh, of computer and console RPGs, having something that's so fresh and clean to the table is a huge bonus in my books. So, and that's what this. Yeah. And not to mention, did I mention how pretty it is? Yeah. Oh my gosh! I, I just, in, in, when you really look at just how original this whole design is, I think you can kind of forgive them a little bit for some of the shortcomings because you know they've. What else out there is there that? compares a ton to this game it's, you know? it's a it, real shame that and, and you know what when uh, you know I, i'll go back to that D analogy when D first and even second edition came out they weren't really great balanced games there was a lot of pro, you know there was a lot of things that held those games still back not great games. yeah <laughs> well i mean pathfinder now feels pathfinder's horrible but that's a debate for another discussion uh-huh. i'm just gonna say not a balanced game the core the core classes in pathfinder i'm not getting into their weird funky Our extra fighter and wizard are badly balanced they're much better balanced than they were in the old days. And you expect a wizard you ex- you expect a wizard to be weaker at the beginning and really cool at the end. That's the way that, that's what I say by balance. Oh well, anyway, um uh anyways, the whole point is <laughs> those games have gotten better with time. Uh they become more balanced. I didn't even say they were greatly balanced. I'm just saying they have gotten like wine. They've gotten better with age and iterations. Um Valkyrie Chronicles, this is the first iteration. It has some rough edges. I would have loved to see future games. So I'm waiting to hear what you guys say about two and three, because I have not played those. But I would I'm I would be crossing my fingers hoping that with future iterations, we tightened up the AI, we tighten up some of the gameplay mechanics, we tighten up some of the balance issues because that would make that a home run i mean the first the first shining force games and whatever have you weren't nearly as cool as some of the later games so yeah i'm hoping that's what's happened here but we'll find out we're gonna find out we're gonna we're gonna take a break though because we've been on for an hour and uh we're gonna go ahead and sit and we we have said that the music is by hitoshi sakimoto and he does good music so we'll probably want a sample of that we we will usher in the, the break right yeah yeah i'm sure someone's gonna send me some links of their favorite music so i can put that in right Right now.
made it back, we're ready to dive into Valkyria Chronicles 2. This was developed and published by Sega. Uh, released on North Amer- in North America on August 31st, 2010. A single and multiplayer tactical RPG. And I, 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 I was surprised when I first heard about this game being released on the PlayStation Portable. Ah, uh, what? Why, Pretty Cross? Can they do? Can they? Can they really shrink that down to the PSP screen? Can they do that? Well, I don't know. You guys sweet. gotta tell me. The answer is more or less yes. It's got a. It shares the same kind of art style. It doesn't do the same polish and high level fill effects and such. It doesn't have a, like the smooth transition between the map and the field and the actual really? gameplay. It's like it, Valkyrie Chronicles wanted, but mm. that said, I mean, it yeah. still one of the nice PSP games there is. Yeah, it's looking. It's a nice looking PSP. Game. Where'd you go, Mr. Abs? Oh, Sounds like Mr. you're across the room. Mr. Abs ran away from us. Because <laughs> he yanked out his cord. <laughs> <laughs> his, nope. He was so impassioned in his defense of the graphical style that he yanked out. He, he knocked it out. <laughs> he just he just knocked it out. So while he's getting his technical issues kind of fixed over there, maybe uh, does Mr. Oh, there we go. So you were saying how terrible the graphics were? Is, is that what I heard you say? <laughs> uh, no, I was, I was just saying that uh, you know you're gonna know going in that it's completely impossible for this game to mash PS3 style and also the PS3 map style. So um, there's definitely some compromises that had to be made. Mm. Uh, game, but for the most part, it's it re- looks really good, especially for a PSP game. Uh, so um, you know, yeah, I, I give them it. an A for effort. But the result, as graphically anyway, we'll get to gameplay details. Um, but graphically, it still leaves a little bit to, to be desired. You know, especially if you play that for a while and then go back to the PS3 game, it's really noticeable. Yes, uh, I mean it's just the only difference is the technical limitation. PS3 versus PS3, they still preserve as much of the art style as they can. It's still quite good looking for what it is, and you know, I'm not going to complain. It's like you can't do magic, so yeah, you know. Well, uh, and, and okay, let me let me throw out a comparison that and, and get you because uh, I have not played this game. I just I just want your opinions. Um, Player Sona Three. You know, that, that, well, that's not a fair comparison. That was a PlayStation 2 game. Damn. Forget my comparison. Drat. Um, I was going to talk about how well that translated over to the PSP, but we're translating a PS2 game to a PlayStation Portable. PlayStation 3, yeah, to a, you're going to have to scale it back. It's a, it's a huge difference in the hard, I mean, in the hardware capabilities. Yeah, I mean, most of the actual gameplay systems are pretty much intact. The main area is rather than Ooh, one huge... Could you imagine that on the Vita? Oh my god, I just had an orgasm. Oh my gosh. I, I love uh, yeah. I love these pretty games on the Vita. They've been, uh, Atlas, no, Atlas, not Atlas. So what's it been called? Oh my god, Dragon's Crown, so pretty. But I digress. Vanillaware. Vanillaware, thank you. But I digress. Uh, I would love to see Valkyrie Chronicles games on the Vita with its high contrast and bright screen. Oh, that would be beautiful for a handheld game. Anyways, so... So graphics, they had to scale it back, but still looks really good. That's awesome. Music, still there? You know, I really can't remember, but I think <laughs> yeah, so. Yeah, it's, it's, still, it's still got music, yeah. It's still got music! <laughs> it's, it's still got music, but for me, it kind of felt like instead of, like, not to jump ahead to 3, but where 3 had more original stuff, this felt kind of like the greatest hits collection of Valkyria Chronicles 1, 1's music. So it's, it's, I mean, which is fine because it's fantastic music, but it doesn't really have a whole lot of original themes that, you know, make it different, differentiated it from the first game. It's sort of like but, a one track stuck in my head, and that's just the one that basically plays on the 
hub, sort of the hub bit, basically. Yes. Which just drilled into my head completely now. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, for the most you're not really going to have a lot of complaints about the music. It's fine. It's And, you know, and a lot of, obviously a lot of those themes are fantastic from the first game, so, you know, it's fine. I don't know if anybody else has any mm. comments on the music. Yeah, I said I can't really remember it. I mean, yeah. it I don't remember not liking it. It's just... <laughs> yeah. one of those that does the job, but doesn't really stand out on its own. Yeah, I mean, I think they had enough other things to worry about in converting this whole system to the PSP, so uh, maybe it's not such a bad thing that they um, didn't exactly spend a ton of time creating a new score. Hmm. Okay. Um. Graphics, music. Hmm. Uh, okay. Let's talk. Oh my goodness. Well, let's get it out of the way. Let's talk about the story and the plot. We we normally knock that out pretty okay. early. Can we not? Okay. I'll just, okay. okay. I'll just start with this one. Okay. The basic plot is actually kind of interesting. See, at the end of the original Valkyrie Chronicles, it's revealed that. That's the it, Cordelia uh, Rancris, the monarch of or rules Gallia, is in oh, fact a Darkson. She is, and everyone thought she was a descendant of a Valkyrie. But in fact, she is the uh, is the part of the kind of discriminated minority population of the continent. This is pretty unpopular amongst some of the elites of her own country, which sparks a Eric's rebellion. Thus, a civil war has broken out, and this conflict is at the heart of Valkyrie Chronicles Two. Basically, the loyalists versus the people, the well, the horrible racist nationalists. Hmm. Uh, yeah. What's the name of that family? Wait, loyalists and nationalists? Are we talking about the Spanish Civil War all of a sudden? <laughs> yeah, this is actually kind of the Spanish Civil War of the whole era. <laughs> was, was, that two years, was that two years after the Second World War? Because that's when this is set. That, that was just before the Second World War. Oh, uh, was it? Uh, okay. I don't know why. Yeah, well, anyways, this is... Let's just say that basically the closest analog to the Nazis in the whole series are the rebels from this game. Because yeah, they've got I the guy who's just like Hitler in them. He's like yeah, literally just like Hitler. Minus the the rebels, not yeah, not the guys in power, but the rebels. Interesting. Yeah. Well, it's sort of a noble family, so sort of, I think they had sort of a fair bit of power, but not sort of government. Yeah, they're a very influential, powerful family, but okay. Yeah, that that kind of leaves Hitler parallels away. He he was not of a noble family in, in any event. Yeah, again, I know. Sort of, I mean, like... sort of random amalgamation to Germany. Okay, never mind. He's not exactly like Hitler. Actually, what he is exactly like is Guerin Zabi from the classic anime Mobile Suit Gundam. It's, he's exactly that, just taken over into fantasy Europe rather than in, uh, giant space battles with robots. <laughs> but I suppose that's interesting here. <laughs> mm. And Guerin Zabi is the guy who literally says like Hitler was a cool guy. So yeah, <laughs> kind of a progression there. Anyway, yeah, I think the main setting of this game is is a military academy rather than sort of the actual yeah, militia. So the main character a, is the Von Harden. Yeah, it's a sort of somewhat younger cast than the yeah. first game. I yeah, have I'll... seen the artwork. They are definitely in what appear to be European military academy style school uniforms. Yeah, it's like basically they're Avon Harden's like seventeen, I think, sixteen, seventeen, I think. He just yeah, I think they're all somewhere in the middle. Yeah, sort of early in the war, he or he's simply told that oh, your older brother who's been part of Landsteel has is died, and he, he's like, why did he die? And he says, I can't tell you. And so he goes to the academy Landsteel to take his brother's to go to where his brother studied and find out more about died and as doing so he becomes the leader of a group of misfits called class g the class full of all the people who just don't fit in in the rest of school he becomes their leader and Are we talking uh, about animal house all of a sudden <laughs> uh uh yeah, kind of <laughs> 
Yeah, okay, this is game is, you know, kind of unfortunate part of this game. Well, one of the two unfortunate problems of this game is that they kind of fall way deep into the realm of anime high school tropes for yeah. a lot of its story scenes such. Yeah, well, like, you see down the rabbit hole here. Yeah, like, this is kind of my problem with this game. Like, the overall, the main story arc is good. It's cool. You know, I mean, the characters are good, too. I like a lot of their development. Yeah, yeah, um, well, I wouldn't say the, I like the, the main the cast at all. Yeah. The I, I like the characters. Yeah, so I'm going to say that right now. Yeah. I mean, the problem is characters are a lot more sort of immature, so they're sort of prone to being more hot-headed, yeah. do it, doing less well-thought-through action, and I think a lot of, as well as a lot more the cat seems sort of a lot more sort of extreme to sort of personalities. Yeah, you get a lot of weird side side character stuff in that in this one. Yeah, side characters actually, you know, they're they're actually not any more weird than the last game. They're just unlike last game, they're actually well developed, focused on. That's true. They get more focus. Yes. In the last game, they got like three paragraphs and a couple of bit of it's a dialogue, uh, incidental dialogue. In this game, they're major characters who show up a lot, get a lot of scenes, get a lot of voice scenes. Every each character gets their own special mission dedicated to helping them out. So there's a lot more focus on them, a lot more development. So yeah, they're extreme personalities come about a bit more than they were did in the previous game even though they're basically just like they were in the previous and I just kind of really like the game for that because it's got a large cast it's a lot of effort to make them kind of interesting I like that I can get behind that mm. it's much better than having a large cast that is completely undifferentiated and a bunch of bland personalities yeah, I mean, some characters are fairly normal. Some characters are the butler, who his storyline is trying to teach the main character how to be a butler. Or, like, there's one guy who's, like, a, in his 40s and is in a hostage of, from the Empire. And there's another guy who's, you know, just a really irritating royal guy, punk. Who, there's another group which is, I don't know, just two people a bit more normal. Or there's the girl pretending to be a guy. Stuff like that. It's colorful. I suppose... I couldn't get into any of it. <laughs> just the whole the whole school setting and a lot of the characters just irritated the heck out of me. Okay. Well, everyone has their own preferences, I suppose. Well, I just it's I just didn't like the whole idea of hey, let's have this military school, but hey, this is like let's make it like high school, and it just it didn't work for me at all. Yeah, um, I'm not. Gonna, it has its problems. I'm not going to disagree with that, but just I still think it has a lot of charming points despite that. That's all. I mean, no, yeah, uh, sorry, I'm Mike, not, go ahead. Sorry, I'm not going to deny that. You know, I just wish. I, I don't. I just like I said, I like the idea of the plot. Just like the sort of the pacing and the idea of that whole setting just kind of didn't right. for me. Okay, the pacing, this is going to be like, as I said, there's two problems I had. The pacing is one entire thing. The pacing of this game is horrible. Yes. yes. I have no words. It's just, they could have done it a lot better. Yeah. Yeah. It basically moves away from sort of linear, sort of every battle is important sort of system of the first one to sort of going into... Yeah. Sort of like, you, you get a big story battle and then you sort of have to do sort of three or three or four sort of generic battles and then yeah, go see sort of an unrelated cutscene yeah. somewhere else. Yeah, basically, you know, the game's split into 12 months and every month you've got a bunch of random battles plus story mission. And the story mission's the one where the main plot happens. And just, you know, that... I actually like the large amount of side battles they have and making them man even ma making them mandatory. It's just the fact that even within that system, it's badly paced out. You've got like yeah. whole way too much devoted to that stupid Levitain Cup and just a lot of major character developments keep way too late. A lot of major, even major gameplay elements are delayed too long because of it. It's just too much of the good parts of the game are backloaded. Yes, exactly. And, well. and to be honest, I didn't even get to a lot of the better parts because I just, you know... 
I mean, by the time I had forced myself through a lot of these things, um, I had imported the sequel and was playing that instead. You know, it's just, it's unfortunate because there is, you know, I I am not going to go out there and say this was a bad game. It's not a bad game. There were, there's a lot of good in here. There's just too much um, not so good that you have to deal with that it really doesn't need. Let's, well, hold, hold on one second, Nathan. I've got to reset. Oops. Hold on one second there. Can you, can you still hear me, Michael? Yeah. Okay, sorry about that. Had a little disconnection issue for a second there. Um, so move, just getting past that story angle for a minute, um, I mean, a big part of Valkyrie Chronicles that we were bragging about last time was the gameplay. How did the gameplay survive the transition? In my book, I think the gameplay actually vastly improved in Valkyrie Chronicles 2, and that's why I stuck with it for all, like, 120 hours I played it. Whoa, 120. Whoa. Wow. Whoa. Yeah. Whoa, does it really take that long to get through? Going through every mission, trying to get all the stuff I wanted unlocked and such. Yeah, I did. Oh, it was. Yeah, my my playthrough is about I think fifty hours, and I meant just started September. So. Sweet mother of yeah. mercy! All right, so I, th- I think you got hours. your money's worth. I was that, about Nathan. to say yeah, I, I picked it up for eight bucks. You, holy crap! I'm <laughs> I'm just I'm gonna be like paying three cents an hour. So uh, so let's uh, yeah. so let, talk. Uh, how are there any changes to the core mechanics? Uh, okay, from the uh, there's a lot of actually. It's just not so much not immediately obvious, but basically things are a lot faster paced. Basically, oh, that's good. In the previous game, you, for example, if you had to wanted to come reinforcements, you had to wait a whole turn for them to arrive. In this game, yeah. they arrive instantly, so you can change in party members in and out a lot more yeah. rapidly and use everyone in the battle a lot more fluidly. Uh, the yeah, maps the are way- small maps, yeah. so you have to move between them, and that happens pretty quickly. So there's a lot more complex and dynamic in terms of how things move rather than just kind of a single moving front line you've got a lot of more options and direction yeah the, yeah, the main thing for the sort of speed changes because you are lose, using a lot less characters you are there's, there's usually a maximum of six active for, for your team anyway yeah six as opposed to like the nine or more you can get in the previous game what is it yeah, it's yeah, got I, way harder than that it's in the teams yeah. probably by the end but yeah it's, yeah it's always it's always six high you can have is it up to five in any sort of one zone I think there's usually yeah it's usually sort of three, three or four zones. Yeah, three or four sub zones for each map. Yeah, but you're usually only fighting on two at a time generally, because it's sort of advancing yeah. through them all. So I mean, yeah, it, I mean, there's some tweaks. Do the speeding up is a lot nicer to have actually. Yeah. Also, um, things like also the game's a lot less bogged down because interception fire is it's gone from being incredibly powerful in the previous game to being almost worthless in this game. So uh, yeah, how it's the less way of the static line of fire. Yeah, I think it usually varies depending on units. So I think scouts, yeah, gen- scouts do naffle fire, but I think your tank, if someone's cute enough to get in front of it, will annihilate <laughs> any sort of yeah. normal troop. It varies a lot more between different classes, I guess, this time around. Yeah, that's, a, that's another nice it, thing is the addition of other classes. Yeah. Also, the and, fact that, you know, the thing about the interception fire is also previously enemies, like in Valkyrie Chronicles 1, they've annoyed thing, they'll walk right up to the edge of your interception fire and then stop. In this game, they'll charge in and throw a grenade at you. So it's a little more dangerous overall. It makes things more yeah. exciting. Yeah, it's a mixture of, sort of sometimes they are a bit more suicidal, but they'll be sort of suicidal to do something fancy or something sort of that, in theory, would be useful. Yeah, and also, as Mr. Apps was saying, the, there's more class, and that's a yeah. big advantage because they're interesting. There's twice as many classes in this well, almost twice as many, maybe a little less. Well, it depends if you're counting the um, upgrades. Yeah, if you're counting upgrades, just like... If you're counting upgrades about or, eight times. Yeah, about eight times as many, but in terms yeah. of the 
Overall, truly different st yeah. place stuff, like eight. But I think I'm not sure it's that many. I think there's two, two or three. I think new class in there. Yeah, so it's up to six. Yeah, the, and they can also rearrange some of the abilities of the old classes. Engineers lost some abilities from then transferred over to a new class called the Armor Tech, which is actually a really poorly conceived class considering it's got the ability to clear out mines and fix damaged terrain, but it's got really low movement, so it's no good at those jobs. I really hate the Armor. <laughs> I wouldn't yeah. put up with it without the fact that upgrades from the Fencer, which is one of my favorite classes. I yeah. love the Fencer. The, the armor tech is useful for against the V2s, just to sort of absorb damage. Yeah, but the Fencers are so much better at that, since they can actually hit the but, V2. That's true. Hmm. Okay. Oh, yeah. Yeah, just, okay, this game, some of the other things, like it's got the Anthem Core, which have big instruments that you can use to apply buffs to your party. Ridiculously good buffs to your allies. It's got the fencers which are go walking with heavy armor and giant swords and can cut down whole groups of enemies in once or some there's or there's also the gunner which is a heavy machine gun unit which it's got got a terrible sweeping shot for its normal attack it's just not good at killing things but it can but it can when it does support fire just unloads a giant barrage of high power shots into enemies and also it's the only class with really good interception fire uh, what else is there is I still yeah, so you should probably mention the uh, tank as well. So, yeah, the tank well, is... This, this time, it's completely customizable. Yeah, in the first game, you've got the one tank, which is kind of set, and the one tank, which you can change the turret on. In this game, your tank can be anything. It can be an armored personnel carrier. It could be a giant mortar. It can be a ridiculously huge anti-tank cannon. It can be a more well-balanced machine. It can be gi a gigantic thing, which requires three points to activate, or it can be a smaller <laughs> tank, which requires only one point to activate, which which is kind of broken but really useful. Yeah, it's basically glass cannon, but it's a very, it's a very good glass cannon. The one, the one CP one tank. Mm. So yeah, it's just a really useful little vehicle. Hmm. So it sounds like the uh, do, do the other uh, the other guys here who've played it agree that it sounds like the gameplay is actually better. Uh, in you know, obviously a lot of ways. Um, I don't know that the AI is necessarily any better. But... Still running yeah, in, a... still running into your machine guns. Yeah. <laughs> it's one time yeah. where. Galleon Hitler kind of was running back and forth for three turns in front of a heavy machine gunner doing nothing, and he kind of died doing so. Yeah, but I mean, the the game, like the first one, does a lot to make up for that. And, you know, what I liked about at least the battles in this game was a lot of the ways that it made up for its shortcomings. Like, obviously, the maps are a lot smaller, so it's split up into segmented, segmented maps. And, you know, that could mean that you're split on two different fronts, which is kind of cool. And you have to obviously capture enemy bases to uh, travel to the different areas in any given battle. So there's a lot of good things that were done there. Yeah, there's a and... lot of things like, you know, maps are, you know, you have to go through the same missions, on different missions on the same maps a lot of times. They do a good job of making it feel very different each time by starting you in different places and connecting the different subzones in different ways. So you have to take different yeah. routes through. And so it's, it's got its limitations, but it's trying to really trying to make things interesting and varied with those limitations. Yeah, and a lot of the maps are very well designed, you know, uh, different places where you can't fit tanks through or Bridges are out, and just kind of lay out uh, like a high vantage point towers you can climb up. Uh, and just, uh, you know, very well done there. Um, so, it's yeah, just but, a lot of nice little glitches. That, yeah, that the only real issue I had was that the sort of six character in it did feel a bit small. Yeah. It, it would have been nice to have more characters, but. Yeah, that's one that, thing I really wish they had a few more characters, but I mean, it's sometimes you can switch between them so quickly, kind of, it's not too big of a problem. Yeah. But yeah, overall, overall it plays really well. Yeah, like, maybe um, it gets a bit repetitive, but 
Yeah, not, I guess not too my, much. My, my one issue is it gets a little grindy. They took a couple of mechanics borrowing ideas from Mo the Monster Hunter series, so it involves somewhat random rewards from missions, and you need to be really you need really need certain rewards in order to upgrade your classes. You do something called cert certifications, which you, every at the end of every mission, people who participate in battle get random certificates, and you need particular sets of these in order to upgrade their classes. So it this is kind of a problem at times if you want to get the good classes. But, and also getting the, some of the weapons requires grinding the same map over and over and over, and I just couldn't stand that. So I did it at some point. It just stopped caring at some point, but, yeah, you know, other than that, you know, it's just solid improvement. Yeah. And I really like it. Like, I kind of wish, you know, it dropped armor text to place them something better and move. It kept the engineers the full power they used to have, but other than that, okay. Yeah, and obviously, I, will, I, will I, say... I wish they had done a completely different story, but... <laughs> Not everyone disliked that whole setting as much as I did. So, and it, I mean, I I still played a lot of the games. So, I, I mean, even if if the story irritates you as much as me, you can skip through a lot of the cutscenes and just you yeah, know, play. Just the focus game, on so. gameplay. It's good. Yeah. Mm. So it's not it's I, not really a deal breaker. Yeah, I mean, I guess one thing that that really is missing for that the Valkyrie Chronicles One had was the giant tank battles that were so iconic to that last game. You don't have anything really like that at all in this game, which is a shame. But you get V2s instead, and they're... Oh, I fun. hate V2s. <laughs> they're like the enemy you love to hate. Just, yeah. They're artificial Valkyrie who have powerful shields and ridiculously powerful yeah. weapons. You, you need to Every use... time you say V2, I keep thinking of the supersonic jet weapons that the Germans threw it across the yeah, channel. Yeah, no, no, not quite the same. These are more like guys in no. heavy powers. <laughs> Yeah, that is definitely not a jet weapon that flies across the channel to bombard London. But okay. Hmm. Well. Just had to establish that. Cool beans. So it sounds like, you know, with some reservations uh, from some about the story or whatever have you, sounds like there's some very positive things going on there. Is it worth $25, 20 $25? I think so. Um, He's thinking real hard about that. Um, He's thinking real hard. Yeah. Yeah, for the most part. Um, but considering you get the superior seek for not too much, I yeah, would that's say, you can't uh, understand the superior sequel. <laughs> that's well, my problem. Yeah, true. But oh, well, we're not we're not true. getting there yet. We'll all right, all get right. to that in just a second. All right. Yes. It's all right. Yeah, I'd say yes, it's worth it. But also, junior acquisition. I've mentioned the art book on this one, which is three hundred pages. <laughs> I think it's bucks on PN, so definitely say price is fine yeah and That's and true. if it's on psn you could you might you might be able to play it on your vita can we play it on our vita yes you yeah. can Ooh, orgasm Ooh. oh i'm gonna have to look as good on the vita as the original falcon chronicles the vita can't do magic no it doesn't because it doesn't actually uh, add stuff but it still looks nice yeah mm, that's tempting uh, yeah. that's really tempting. also yeah this is the only art book where it doesn't actually contain sort of a major breakdown of the story Hmm. Okay, cool. It's too hot, but what the others do. Hmm. But it's still a fun game. All right, cool. So uh, there's still so there's plenty of ways to get that. You can grab that on UMD. You can grab it on PlayStation Network. Twenty twenty five bucks. Um, sounds like a very cool and interesting uh, game with a game with a few reservations, like the kind of the first one. Maybe a few more here, maybe not, depending on how much you weight you put into your story, you know, side of the equation. Um, sounds like if you enjoy uh, more game, if you're more of a gameplay freak like I am, uh, sounds like this one will scratch the uh, the itch uh, just as well, if not better, than the original. And uh, if you're into this story, well, it's a toss up. So <laughs> uh, we're gonna take uh, another break, and we'll be right back to to talk about the sequel that you may not be able to understand. That is, in fact, our import corner. That's right. I'll be right back. 
ready to talk about Valkyria Chronicles 3, otherwise known as this was de- um, just that was a great Japanese. Did you like that? <laughs> Developed by Media Vision, published by Sega. This was released in Japan on January twenty. By the way, this is the import corner. Uh, January twenty seven, twenty eleven, with an extra edition being released on November twenty third, twenty eleven. A single player tactical RPG experience. And uh, well, this should be this should be like the last one. Single role playing strategy, first person, third person, or does it not have all those other views? Is that it says tactical role playing? No, game. it's the same, I think. But but doesn't don't you still have that first person view and the third like? The... Yeah, it's, it's it plays the same. So just... so Wiki is screwed up here. This is a yeah. tactical role playing first person strategy tactical title for your strategic <laughs> PSP system. Okay, got it. I got it down now. Okay, all right. Well. Apparently Sega quite liked this game because it selected the two leads, I think, for inclusion in Project X Zone. And the third lead is third player. Is it a solo character in it, so three main leads. Yes, yes. There's so many characters in Project X Zone that it's hard to keep them all straight at times. Yeah, this is the game I always wanted to play but haven't considering it hasn't been localized, and I blame all of you who didn't buy Valkyrie Chronicles 2. I don't think we should blame only those people. I I think we should blame all of the people who were busily pirating with their PSPs instead of, you know, purchasing games legally. Yeah, well, I'm blaming them too. (laughs) So that companies like Sega might decide maybe it's not while when we will probably lose money. Well, I just add insult to injury. They have released the third art book in English. As yeah, well as releasing, as, yeah, as well as releasing the original soundtrack on iTunes. And it's a good soundtrack. And you mentioned that, which I did that this was developed, guys. That Wait, Media Vision did this? Yeah, that this game has like more of a Wild West tone to the soundtrack, which now seems really like spot on considering the developer. <laughs> I'm really missing out by not playing this soundtrack. You should. It's it's a cheap import. It's um, it's a fan translation that works. Um, but it's. Um, it's since it's got a linear approach, it's it's uh, it's an easy to play. Although obviously you're gonna miss out on the story, you know. Like I can't speak for the story at all, except whatever I make up as I'm playing it. Has someone on Game Facts helpfully translated anything? I, Sometimes I think there are facts that do that. I think there's a lot of story guides out there, and you know, there's also like guides that'll help the menu. Although you know, you can some trial and error kind of get you everything you need easily. Well, yeah, the output does have a fairly substantial story thing, so I can actually tell you what happens. Need to. Uh, this is takes place in Valkyrie Chronicles One, doesn't it? Yeah. 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 I, think, I think it has to do with something like convicts forced in the army or something like that. Yeah, that's yeah, the it, news that wrote for it way back said, I think. Yeah. Yeah, it, it, it's sort of a division called the Nameless who are all basically convicted com- convicts who are sort of forced to fight or else. And they basically get stuck with all the ridiculously suicidal missions. Yeah, so obviously this one seems to have more of a serious tone than uh, 2 did. Although, obviously, like I said, I have no idea what's going on in this game, so um, they could all be making jokes in a serious tone. I have no idea. It could, well, be, quite what, could be lots of deadpan jokes. I don't know. What do you see on screen? There are there are no pies to the face or people on roller skates going by or no, Looney Tunes sound that. effects, right? Right. Okay. That seems unlike most story approaches to have everything be completely deadpan. That's hard to do. True. So most likely it is quite serious. 
And as far as gameplay goes, uh, it's kind of more straightforward story missions and just like skirmish missions on the side if you need them. And kind of a notable, noticeable difference from like the first game is there seem to be points where you can like choose one of multiple different story missions to advance, uh, which is a nice little touch. Um, so yeah, I mean, largely it plays a lot like two kind of the same same classes. Uh, I, I haven't, like, beaten this game because it's, it is still a little different play. Did uh, they up the sort of character limit? Um, I don't think I've gotten far enough to really tell. Yeah, I, I'm still working with kind of the kind of the uh, lower limits, so oh, I'm, not sh- I'm not sure. I th- yeah, uh, I thought I read they might have upped it to nine somewhere, but... They may have, I'm you know. being along, which, if they did, cool. Yeah. I like that. Uh, but for the, the game also kind of has, I don't, I mean, I can't really say, oh, it, the exact technical details, but the game seems to have a, a little better look to it than 2 as well. Um, obviously still far and away from the original game, but, you know, it's at least a nice little uptick. And, you know, the, this more unique music is definitely a nice touch. Um trying to think what else I can say about it because obviously you know I'm just kind of skipping through everything and going to well, okay Spe- specifics of the mechanics what has yes. changed uh the level the leveling seems to be different i um it doesn't seem to be class based anymore uh like this is not something I've actually looked up I've just kind of done gone in the menu and kind of upped a few things because it kind of because, you know, if you've ever played some imports before, you can kind of see some things pop up, like HP and things like oh, that. Oh, yeah, I think I know what that is. I've seen that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so sometimes it's easy to, to pick up some things. So when I go to the leveling screen, there's, like, options that seem to be increasing HP and increasing, increasing other things. But so it, you have a choice in which stats you're increasing per level? Yes. Yes, and, but it doesn't seem. But there doesn't. There's no like class selection or anything. Like obviously, you would expect to see like the different class icons. But in this case, you're just kind of uh, spending experience on appears to be uh, increases for all the classes. Hmm. Um, and uh, you, there's still like weapon weapon upgrades and some kind of tank upgrades. Uh, so there there's that customization there. You know, like I said, I haven't played completely played through this game, so I don't know if the leveling changes at all. If you get farther in, I'm not sure. Um, a character sort of stuck in the sort of same basic class as they were in the first two games, um, or can you change them? You can. You can change class. That okay. is one. That's, that's new. Dig. I mean, I spent a good amount of time digging. Kind of the there's like a base camp you can go to that has all those. So I kind of dug through that, see what kind of options I could find. And one of the ones I did find was definitely changing class. Uh, so that's available. I'm not sure about getting extra characters or anything like that. Um, as I mean, like I said, it, obviously, although this is certainly very playable in Japanese, it's. it's still going to be kind of a slow sometimes frustrating experience like any playing anything in a language you don't know would be uh, so keep that in mind caveat emptor yes uh, you know, there is a promising looking fan translation in progress but as those things can go you know you never know what could happen if it'll ever come out or when it will come out so uh, yeah so if you really want to play the game I would prepare prepare yourself to just play it in Japanese with as many guys as you can like you know me personally since it's a portable game I don't really want to have to pull up a, a guide or anything so I kind of just uh, fiddle with it on my own and try and figure things out you know it's not 
it's not something like when I imported the Seventh Dragon, I really need to have some quest guys to figure out where the heck I'm going to go. You know, obviously, you're going to know where, you're going to know how to advance pretty obviously. Uh, you know, it's got a, a, a little world map with like pins with battles and story events, and the uh, main story battles are very clear, and the skirmish battles are obviously like pins not connected to kind of like the dotted line on the map. So, uh, as far as progressing through, it's very obvious, but in story, you'd need a guide, and s- some of the different leveling options and things and things like that, you're going to have to spend some time either reading a guide or kind of just fiddling thing with things on your own to get a handle for it. But, you know, overall, um, you know, it's it's really good. Like, uh, the, the core, great Valkyrie Chronicles combat is there. You said that the music is considerably more memorable than this one, right? Yeah, it's got... They've added a lot of, like, uh, um, you know, I'm going to say Wild West tones. I don't know if that's the right descriptor, but that's the best thing I could think of. Um, But it's definitely... So it has some harmonica? Not harmonica. You see, I I don't really know how to describe it. I'd say, like... um, Maybe like some more. It's like like piano and banjo and. I want to say like Spanish guitar. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, it's a bit more guitar yeah. and and it's yeah, still second Maito doing it. Yeah, and yeah. it's it's noticeably like I said earlier, it's noticeably noticeably more unique from the first game than uh, two was. Although you still get a lot of those those uh, memorable themes, like the main series theme is in there. Um, so yeah, the music is, is certainly a plus over two, and you know I, I think a lot of people's frustrations in importing this game is going to be the story because I know a lot of fans really like the story, and not unless you're unless you know a little bit of Japanese, you're going to be missing out on that here. And you know I I can't I really have no idea if the story is any good or not. But you know, from, from what I've read in the outlook, like it sounds it yeah. From what I've read in the outlook, sounds quite interesting. Yeah, but how does fully does the artwork detail support. the events? Does it just give you a skimming appraisal, or does it go fairly in depth? It goes fairly in depth. I mean, okay. sort of. I think each chapter gets two pages dedicated to it. Although most of them are images, but it it does sort of. It is on full full spoiler <laughs> mode. Well, if you get the art book, caveat emptor again. <laughs> and how would how does it visually compare to its immediate predecessor? Obviously, it's still not going to look as good as the first. Yeah, one. Uh, I did say before it it um it looks no a little bit better than two. Um, well, it came I, out close to... Actually, the PSP is still sort of going, but there haven't been many big titles released for it in the last couple of years, so this is close to the end of its lifespan. Yeah, I think the only the only big thing I could think of recently is uh, Seventh Dragon 2022. <laughs> Which should have been Sega. 2021. Uh, yeah, <laughs> what? It's... Sega! Yeah, never mind. Sega and yeah. its titles, let's not go there. Yeah, you know, being a obviously late PSP title, all the piracy problems and everything, I could... I guess understand why Sega wouldn't. Well, I don't want to say I guess. I know why they have, weren't really interested in bringing this over. It's just a shame that I think um, this would have done really well for somebody like Xseed or Atlas or really anyone. So, you know, we didn't really have a ton of kind of lost titles this generation, and this this is kind of a huge. So, uh, I guess we can only hope that um, whenever a next year game comes out in the series, that'll it'll, it'll be on a uh, on a more suitable platform for the West, I guess. Well, come on, enhanced support. 
Well, let's. Uh, yeah. Yeah, let's or, let's address that with two further up further follow ups. A, if it did come out on the 3DS, could the 3DS handle it based on it having been on disc media its entire series run? Yes, I, I would say yes. I'd say just about probably. Yeah. Uh, okay. It, I personally, I would prefer if it went to like maybe PS3 slash Vita, kind of a dual Vita. release like that. Well, I think I'm. I'm, I'm saying PS3 slash Vita because I think if there's a PS3 version, it's more likely to come out here. Uh, and also Vita would be region-free, worst-case scenario. Right. So. Um, well, here's the other. If it if we do get a Valkyria Chronicles 4 in the near future, will yes. Sega localize it? I know that's hard to answer, mm, but based giant, on habits. Giant question mark. Um, yeah. Yeah. My initial reaction is to say unlikely. Well, what I, has I, Sega been releasing lately? PC games? Oh, well, yeah, they've got their three core ones. Um, so I think of anything from Japan. Oh, and, Se- and Sonic games, worse. Yeah. yeah and Sonic games. I, I want to say they've been bringing over like all the Yakuza games, so it seems like another Have PS3 they? RPG would be a shoo-in, but the latest one and the HD update of 1 and 2 hasn't come out here, so I, I don't really know anymore. And I know Sam is very sad about that. Yeah. There's yeah. Yeah. Sega was pretty good about bringing unexpected stuff across the ocean until just a few years ago, but now it's like the well, company yeah. has just clamped down on any unnecessary yeah. risks. Yeah, it had the sort of experiment in like 2010 where it sort of brought over, it sort of did Resonance of Fate, they had Alpha Protocol with them as well, so. Yeah. And yes, w- wouldn't you say that Infinite Space might have done a little better if it hadn't been released on the same day Final Fantasy thirteen was released? <laughs> no, surely not. No, I can't think of a correlation between its disappointing sales figures and that. Nah. Not at all. How can nah. you suggest such a thing? I don't care about Final Fantasy. Uh, I think this series, sadly, is kind of a, a casualty to the to the you know the portables being bigger in Japan and obviously them not being as big here because you know I think another PS3 game may have done better here. You know, obviously, the first one uh, sold better later from word of mouth, uh, but probably after it was down to like twenty bucks. Wow, um, I'm, I'm glad but, I have infinite space. It's up, it's up to double the price it was released for. <laughs> Sorry, that, that, yeah. that has nothing to do really with Valkyria Chronicles, yeah. which has not appreciated massively in price, but it surprised me. You know, the fact that it's still out there cheap means that it probably still didn't sell all that great. So, But, you know, and I think a second one with a little more buzz could have done okay, but can I, I can't say that I blame Sega for uh, kind of doing the safe move. And, yeah, you can't you know, really play for downsizing their costs and still try to play no, good games. No, and really, uh, you know, it resulted in good games and it kept the series going. And you know, if it means we might miss some of those games, uh, you know, it's kind of the classic: which would you rather have? Would you rather the series yeah. die a horrible death and maybe you get one more game, or would you rather the series keep going and maybe you have to wait for fan translations and yeah. other all stuff? Is, you still have it. Yeah, I can, all I can do is hope that you know things turn around. Like we used to be in the Dark Ages for Pulse Five didn't get released over here, but things changed. Yeah. Hopefully they'll change again to, in that same direction. Yeah, and it, yeah, uh, at least Sega hasn't said anything about making Valkyrie Chronicles Four a browser game like uh, the, like this new. Like this new entry in a series we talked about once upon a time. Well, I think they did make a browser card game based on Valkyria Chronicles. It's tangentially related to the backtrack, but you know, I just don't think we'll ever be recording an episode devoted to that game. I can't see it happening for some reason. 
Uh, I don't think this series is at risk of that happening to this. Um, you know, obviously they haven't announced any new titles yet, which is not necessarily. I mean, three is really not all that old. No, it's just barely two years old now. Yeah, so that's not exactly surprising. So you know, it it we'll have to wait and see. The the game sold reasonably well in Japan, so I don't think the series is at risk of uh, vanishing or anything like that. So you know. Fans of the series should remain hopeful and, um, I guess, import a nice new copy of Valkyria Chronicles 3 to add a few copies to the sales of that, I guess. Why not? Yes, although you, if you use eBay, you might not have to pay... What, what does a new PSP game cost in Japan? Something like the equivalent of about $60, $70. Oh, this, this had a second release that was cheaper. I think I imported it, pre-ordered it for like 40 bucks. The uh, cheaper re-release... And I've seen it, new copies for like, I think 35. I think I might have saw it for like 35 on Amazon, although that was probably before shipping. But um, yeah, it's a little more than uh, new PSP games were going here by the end, but not bad at all. So a relatively cheap import. Okay. Okay. Well, you guys. Sounds like sounds like a. You guys just broke my heart. Recommendation. Yeah, you just broke my heart. (laughs) I I just can't do the Japanese thing as much as I like the gameplay or yeah. something. I just, I, for me... It's I'm sorry, like, Phil. I can't lie to you. Valkyria Chronicles 3 is really good. Damn it's you. It's really a tragedy that we damn, did not get it. Damn you. Sorry. Damn. So Maybe sorry. there will eventually be a way, they, given how prolific PSP hacking is, that you can just play it on your PSP. But they can bring... With with the fan translation? I'm, I'm sure that yeah. can be done with some games already. Yeah, uh, yeah, definitely. But they can bring they can bring musicals over, no problem, and cross it. <laughs> uh, uh, yes, it's so and hyperdimension yeah. Neptunia. Oh don't, my god! Don't get me started, Phil. Well, they can bring those <laughs> crappy games over, no problem. And you know, when I was in, so I mean, t- you know, talk just piggyback on your discussion about pirating, since that's the only thing I really know about that I can contribute to this discussion. Um, as I mentioned on earlier backtracks, uh, my wife's family is all in Indonesia. That big, massive collection of islands out there in the Pacific yeah, somewhere. They're, they're between the southeast tip of Asia and Australia. Exactly. So uh, they got a strong Indian influence, and they also got a lot of Asian influence. But when I was there in that country, it's very interesting when you go to a game store uh, because they'll have a front showing look like legally box games. But you don't have to ask very hard to see their their cool collection of pirated games in the back. And there you can bring you a lot of those places you can bring in your PlayStation 3 hard drive. They'll mod it for you and load it up with whatever games you want for like three dollars a pop. And they'll put those games on there. So when I was there, my brother took me my brother in law took me to one, and they loaded up with Red Dead Redemption and uh, Grand Theft Auto and a whole bunch of other three dollars a pop. And uh, took it home, plugged it in, and I'm just sitting here watching him hook this thing, you know, back up and put it back together and fit it in and put in the mod chip. And and I'm just kind of like rolling my eyes and shaking my head because aside from any ethical compunctures one may have, my biggest reason for not liking uh, pirating is my time is short. Like I don't get a lot of free time and I always hate how half the time they don't work. So it was really funny. <laughs> it was so ironic, but, but I'm in Indonesia. I have no other way to play a PlayStation three, but whatever they can hook up for me. So, but it was ironic. I'm sitting there. Oh yeah, Phil, here's red dead redemption. I'm like, yeah, I've been meaning to get around to this title, start playing it. It freezes. 
What's going on here? Oh, it's having a problem. Get past the mod ship. Starts, you know, he's like Scotty on the Enterprise. I'll have it ready in an hour. You know, he's like making these promises and you did it. You know, switching these things around. I have no idea. It's like it's a huge effort. I mean, for all the, I'll give you more power. To yeah, it's like for the money that they are probably saving on buying buyer copies, they're putting it into labor and just to keep that thing, you know, running. And this, uh, it was really hilarious. They just had so many issues, but yeah, that's how they. In in some in some cases, I there in some cases they tell me that there's some games they can only get that way, and in other cases there's just to them it's prohibitively expensive the pricing structure that's out there. It's prohibitively expensive to buy the games retail, so they don't have like the secondary markets that we have for used games and eBay's and half dot coms and and uh, you know Amazon doesn't regularly ship to them for only fifteen dollars after a game's been out for three months. So it's, you know, it's a whole different thinkology and dynamic out there. And it's unfortunate that the side effect of, you know, that setup is we don't get some of the really cool games out here because there is a, you know, that concern about the piracy and losing out on a lot of potential revenue. But until somebody can fix those video game markets in some of those countries, because it just is not the same. Any. Well, it, uh, unfortunately, the PSP was, oh it, by the end of its lifespan, was insanely easy. Easy, yeah. And it's just, and, and in fact, bad. and in fact, that it's funny you should say that because I think that what was it, the PSP three thousand wasn't that hackable, or did they hack that finally? The, the, I think they're all equally hackable. At when, when I was in Indonesia, they they said they told me they couldn't hack the three thousand, but uh, but the one in two thousand, no problem. Well, I happened at the time I had a two thousand, so I gave it to my brother in law, took out my memory stick that had all my saved games. And I'm like, well, here you go. He was so excited because now he's going to go and buy a whole bunch of pirated games on a mem stick. And and then when I got back to America, I bought a three uh, three thousand. So I bought a three thousand anyway because I think it had a you know slightly brighter screen or something like that. But it was just an excuse for me to to get the slight upgrade there. But at the time, they couldn't hack those. But the DSs, oh my gosh, the hack! D- oh yeah, D- they would give you the DS preloaded with like every Mario and. Donkey Kong oh, game geez. and everything like that. It's like it's like they sold them that way. Yeah, but it's always behind the counter. It's almost as if they're expecting the police one day to show up and they're ready to slam down the front of their little store. You know, the the the, the metal doors. <laughs> yeah, it's it's really hilarious. It's it's, it's uh, because they do understand it's still legal and technically they could get in trouble for it if the cops came busting down. But in Indonesia, if that happens, you're just going to end up bribing them off. Because cause that's the way you handle all your legal problems in Indonesia Jeez. is bribes. Um, yeah, it's it's a it's a whole new world. Okay, so <laughs> all right. Uh, well, thank you very very much for that, guys. It wasn't even set in Indonesia. Where did we come up with that? I started thinking about India, Middle East, Aladdin. You know, my brain just you know. <laughs> okay. I'm, I'm drinking caffeine to stay awake, and so the brain's zipping a little faster than it probably should. Uh, so we're going to take another break. Listen, uh, let you listen to some uh, more great Valkyrie Chronicles music. And, you know, I think we're going to go ahead and jump into a running little uh, late on time here. So we're going to jump right into the final lap when we return. Hold on time.
enjoyed that. Where this is the final lap where we talk about news, we talk about what we're playing, we talk about just things that are on our chest that we want to get off our chest. Uh, we read your comments and oh so much more. It's basically the kitchen sink, but we call it the final lap because it fits with the whole track theme and and that works for us. So um first uh we'll knock out the comments real fast because we we're doing these shows in rapid succession lately um for some scheduling workarounds uh that means that our last show really hasn't been up long enough to garner a large amount of comments uh where we talked about uh, our final fantasy spinoffs that was episode number 98 so uh on our next show we will read the comments the new comments from episode 98 as well as any comments you have for this show number 99 it's two weeks to our next show right mike yeah. Okay, good. So you'll have a full two weeks to get your comments on about both of these shows, uh, depending on how long it takes me to get this edited and put up. Um, there's only one comment so far um, uh, from uh, Retro Vertigo, and he says, hey, what happened to the sound quality um, on episode 98? So I kind of mentioned it at the beginning, but it might have been easy to miss with the intro music coming out around three and a half minutes. I, I stuck in an extra, you know, 30 second recording saying, hey, what happened in that first 20 minutes is I accidentally had my web camera turned on instead of my normal uh, podcasting mic. Didn't realize it at the time. So uh, the first 20 minutes got a lot of background noise, especially my clicky clicky on the keyboard, which the webcam is really great at picking up and magnifying. Um, I use, I ran some filters to try to go back and, and reduce some of that, and that's only partial. Filters will only get you so far in audio editing. Um, so yes, if you get to if it really bothers you too too much, uh, what you can do is you can fast forward to about twenty minutes. Around that point was when I realized, uh, thanks to Mike's urging through text, uh, that there was a problem and uh, ascertained what that was and switched it over to the normal podcast mic. So from the twentieth minute on, um, at least in my samplings that I listened to, it sounded you know okie dokie. Now I don't listen to the entire thing before I, I put it back up. It's just when I'm recording, I try to listen carefully, and if there's issues, I you know I make notes and I I go back and I try to edit those parts, and that's kind of what happened there. I said, ooh, <laughs> got to go back and run a filter on the first twenty minutes, which uh, like I said, only gets you so far. But it, it does sound a little bit. <laughs> you should have heard the original audio. Anywho, um. Yeah, so put more comments because that was a really great episode where we talked about the final set, uh, Final Fantasy VII spinoffs. If you haven't gone and listened to that, uh, you really, really should. We talk about some of those uh, those games you may not have gotten around to playing, uh, plus a movie you might not have gotten around to watching that had to do with Final Fantasy VII. Um, it also had pretty graphics like Valkyrie Chronicles, and fortunately didn't have nearly as much sustenance. At least that's what some of our panelists think. Go and listen to this show for full details. And our next show. We can't tell you what it is. <laughs> because it's after <laughs> evil insert evil laugh here. <laughs> because it is our grand episode one hundred. Uh highly anticipated uh show. I mean, all five people who listen have been waiting for this. I mean they're foaming at the mouth for it. Heck, we're foaming at the mouth for it. Super excited. Uh, we're going to be talking about a really cool game, but can't tell you what it is. There's a series of games. Won't tell you. Um, I'll also be doing my number one. That's common knowledge. Um, I also have a big surprise uh, for everybody there. Uh, we'll be doing giveaways. Uh, it'll be exciting. So you'll want to make sure that you're listening to the RPG Backtrack number 100. Uh, we'll be recording that about two weeks. And then depending on how long it is, it usually takes me a few days or possibly the weekend 
uh, to get that edited and for us to get it posted up. So um, eh, that would be up around. Just taking a look at the calendar. We recorded to sure the end of August. August. Yep, right at the end of August. There. Wow. Awesome stuff. Just in time for everybody to go back to school. Right, right. And just taking a look at the calendar, it's 100 episodes, but most a lot of podcasts do weekly. We kind of do a bi-monthly format. Uh, it, no, bi-weekly. Bi, is it bi, is, is bi-weekly mean every other week or twice a week? I, I looked it up one time on Wiki. Every other week. It's like uh, – Bi-monthly would mean we did a whole total of six a year. Uh, well, maybe we should. That would be less editing time. <laughs> That would be great. Okay, so the first uh, the first ten shows, uh, which were the uh, the pre fill shows, um, as we like to call them, that was in two thousand eight, August twenty fifth, two thousand eight, and then I uh, I and Mike got together to tag team this from eleven on. So if we if we go back to the two thousand, let's see, that was August twenty fifth. So we're talking about five years. Um, so that's pretty awesome. Five years, one hundred episodes of RPG Backtrack. Come and celebrate with us here in a few weeks at the end of august oh uh, let's see here oh well and speaking of we have been doing a countdown haven't we mike since you know for for quite a while now we have and let's see what what comes between three and one i think it's actually 85 but maybe you're going to tell me i'm wrong i think it's 99 because that's what episode we're on okay so we got, we got to do it right. This is our top ten. This is my personal – Phil's personal list of top ten computer-slash-console RPGs of all time. And now, number two. Number two. That's right. We're, we're finally down to number two. And, um, and this one's going to just totally surprise everybody. I, I honestly think no one saw this coming. My number two game is Cross Edge. <gasps> It's got two words in it, cross edge. It sounds awesome. It's got a big X in the middle. What's not to like, huh? Huh? Am I right? No. Okay, damn. <laughs> yeah, okay. <laughs> Have we unmasked your foolishness for the charade it actually is? Yeah. <laughs> oh, fine. Okay, I, I can't keep that charade up for long, can I? No. Well, if you are going to, then you have to say that the, it's, your number two is actually the Dark Spire, as we know. That is such a, I mean, the, a memorable, well-done game in every respect. Well, damn you, Mike. You just let out the number one to everybody a uh, show early. Thanks a lot, Mike. But that means we can talk about it together again. Uh, and remember all the great times we had playing the Dark Spire. The Dark Spire, that evil nightmare that will never leave our minds. Boy, D and D frustration at its finest. Um, the music was really nice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The uh, the eight bit mode, sure, that was nostalgic and cool for like thirty seconds before it started to get on your nerves. Um, okay, but we're not here to talk about that. No, uh, we talked. Uh, we talked. Uh, we talked. Uh, uh, talking about Valkyrie Chronicles. I, I got to do a segue here and talk about Valkyrie Chronicles. We talked about how tactical RPGs uh, can pull you into their world just through. Uh, the idea that you're controlling an entire party, you're doing a lot of customization. Um, XCOM, as I mentioned this uh, last show or the show before, XCOM does a really great job. Enemy Unknown, there's not a, a lot of great story pulling you into that universe there, but the fact that you're doing so much customization to the characters um, and you're thinking through every decision they make and every decision could be their last makes that game, you know, really pull you into the roles of those characters. And I've seen people get a lot more upset about losing a, a character in XCOM Enemy Unknown uh, than losing, you know, even Aerith in Final Fantasy VII or whatever her name is. So, 
um anyways uh so tactical tactical rpgs can be super fun and exciting and just absolutely pull you in and i love them to tears i i I just absolutely do um this one came out of nowhere for 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 me uh being a fan of like the D &D games um uh, you know i was kind of looking for the next you know D D or shining force i really enjoy the shining force strategy you know tactical rpg titles back in the in the what, mid late late nineties, so I was kind of looking for something like that. It was I, I mentioned before that I was a little disappointed with Baldur's Gate, you know, changed to a more real time uh, formula. It's a little disappointed by that. I was like, mm, wasn't wasn't super plus by that. Uh, and then out of the blue came a tactical RPG that brought that brought it back home, brought it back to turn base, brought it back to strategy, and did it in a cinematic manner that that. JRPGs are known for it combined the tactical awesomeness of you know more Western RPG of the time with the cinematography uh, and the and the bigger universe that sometimes uh, the the JRPGs you know do do so well. Uh, this uh, this uh, this was an unknown IP to me at the time, um, but it comes from a really well known name, SquareSoft. I'm talking about Front Mission Three. This was developed. Everyone goes, what? No, I'm just kidding. This is developed by Square Product <laughs> Development Division, published in North America by Square Electronic Arts. This was released on the PlayStation and later on on the PlayStation Network, released in North America on Feb- originally on February 29th, 2000, and then re-released on the PlayStation Network, much to the happiness of millions of tactical RP gamers everywhere. On sep- uh, December twenty first, twenty ten, it was like a, it was like an early Christmas present for me a few years back. This is a single player tactical RPG experience. So, I you know Front Mission Three was the third in a series, but I had not even heard of one or two before. Not surprising. I don't believe they have, they they came here to America before three did. No, they three was the first one to come across the ocean, and one has since come across the ocean on the DS. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Four has also crossed the ocean, and that leaves. Um, one, two, three, four. Uh, depending on how you count it, five or six front mission games that have never left Japan. Wow, crazy. Well, so uh, so let's see. In front mission, the uh, it's it's you are it's a tactical RPG, but it's not set in a typical Square Enix setting. Well, then again, the way Final Fantasies are going lately, um, this is more um, almost a, it's got a modern day feel, maybe slightly in the future, maybe like a, I think it actually is twenty one hundred or so, um, where um, there are big huge mechs. Um, this takes place, I believe, in Japan, and there's some. Um, big plot going on between two factions and you're a test pilot and you get involved in this thick plot and there's a big decision you make at the beginning that's kind of important tells you which way you're going to go in the game and that's all i remember about the story because you guys know what i think about stories 10 years ago come on i i could read you to wikipedia you guys can go look that up because honestly my friends and i really didn't care about the story <laughs> we were blowing parts off of max <laughs> um but it, it does it's got a really cool you know, it's it's a little different than your Final Fantasy Tactics or your D and D Tactics type of game uh, with that future I say, which is already a bonus point. There's just not enough mech games out there. A mech tactical RPGs. There was Mech Commander, um, and Mech Commander Two on the PC, which kind of scratched hey, that itch a little little bit. Yeah. 
Remember a little series we've talked about before? I think Phil is asking for more tactical RPGs with mechs. I think we talked about one that might... I don't count your weird one. You need to import a few Super Robot Wars. Yeah. You really do. Anyway, um, well, while you guys were playing, while you guys were playing your tiny little mechs on your Game Boy Advances, my mechs were taking up a 40-inch screen, full 3D graphics, and oh yes, (laughs) wait, Phil's trying to tell us that. PS1 visuals on a 40-inch screen have aged well. I think that's what he's trying to <laughs> No, now they do look better on the PSP screen. But anyway, back then, it was... Aw- Seriously, I had people come over my house just to watch me play this game. Because, as I mentioned before, there's some cinematography involved. And in, in a lot of tactical RPGs, especially um, if you're going to go back to the Game Boy Advance, which is a limitation of the hardware, nothing wrong with that. But... Um, uh, yeah, back your tactical RPGs at the time basically had if they had cutscenes at all when you attack somebody, it was usually a side view of someone firing a weapon at another guy, and that's what the earlier, well, front earlier front missions did an isometric, right? I think so, yeah. Yeah, but front mission, yeah, the first one did it. Front mission three you, is one of those early three gener- uh, D generation type of games uh, using full three po- D polygons. Um, what was cool is you would do an attack and it, it would do the dramatic angle of uh, the picture of the enemy mech getting slammed with your missile or your mech punching him in with his, you know, armored fist and, you know, hitting him in the gut and stuff. Uh, and sometimes when you attack somebody, you have a special skill kick in and it would do special cinematics for that. Like, oh, you're going to do extra shots, going to zoom in and see all the bullets fly off the enemy mech and watch his arm get blown off or something like that. Or just watch his mech blow up altogether, which is even better. It, it was those kinds of things that that were just like people just come over and watch me play who was a lot of times somebody just wanted to come and watch you play a tactical rpg of all things but people did because it was so much fun watching the you know the early the three you know the 3d graphics now you're right the early 3d graphics they don't age super well and if you go back and you play it now your eyes will bleed if you're gonna do it on a big screen thankfully that's why you know the playstation network version now is the one to get because playing that on the psp i haven't tried it on the vita but on the PSP, you know, when you shrink those graphics down onto a, you know, two and a half, three inch screen, whatever that is, it, it's a lot, you know, it's a lot easier to take in. Uh, this, uh, you know, the the the, cu- the camera angles and stuff are still cool, and watching parts blow off is still cool. But I will certainly admit that I am no fan. Everyone knows this. I am not a fan of first generation PlayStation One. Um, Dreamcast, whatever they're called, graphics. Ugh, they went to 3D a little too early. But back then, it actually, that was one of the games that didn't immediately make me revolt like, oh, what was that one RPG with the really crappy graphics, 3D graphics? Oh, well. Um, uh, what was I'm that? I'm thinking of Alundra 2, but I don't think that's what you were thinking. No, there's one that's worse than that, I think. Grand Stream Saga? Ooh. Close. Oh, come on. Why do we keep picking on that? At least the camera is zoomed out <laughs> so that you don't, so that you do, you don't have to revel. <laughs> they have no faces. Ah. I can't deny that, but uh, yeah, at least the camera doesn't zoom in on their ugly polygonalness and make you revel in it with each shot. I, I can't really defend that that is a good looking no game. They have no faces. Come on. But it, Ah, uh, no faces. Me. I still remember that. I remember. I remember that day that you guys were talking about it, and I decided to get a little curious and look it up on Google, and I clicked the images <laughs> tab of the game, and oh my god, I've been scarred for life. Faceless people is like something out of a uh, out of a uh, 
B-rate movie from the 80s, a B-rate horror movie. I just, <laughs> no, this shouldn't be. It's like, oh my gosh. Oh, the only thing it's missing is Roddy Roddy Piper. I mean, it's just, it's, it's not right. Did you have to put on sunglasses to see the people without the faces? <laughs> well, I was hoping that if I put the sunglasses on, their faces would finally appear, but they'd be alien faces. But no, there were no faces even with the sunglasses. It was horrific. Now, don't bring that bike, Are Mickey. Thinking of the original Virtua Fighter? That yeah, sure has yeah. aged. Oh, my goodness. Oh, damn you, Minky. All right. So, <laughs> let's – wait, wait. This is this is about Front Mission 3, not about your damn faceless people. So, <laughs> Front Mission 3. All right. So, um, have any of y'all – have any y'all – I'm sure one of you have at least played Front Mission 3 all the way through, right? You know, I really regret never picking that game up considering, you know – I tried the demo way back when, and I didn't get through it. Mm. And just, it didn't seem too interesting to me at first. Then years later, I picked up the demo and played through it all the way. It's like, holy cow, this game is awesome. Why didn't I ever play it? Mm. Mm-hmm. I have never have since. That you're making me feel like I need to go to PSN and buy. It. Oh, and and I and I will I will fully admit that it's it's a bit of a slow burn. I mean, you have to get used to. The fact that, you know, when you're moving your mech, he kind of moves slowly. Uh, it's not one of those zippy tactical RPGs where, you know, you move the, you know, everything moves fast. It seems like everything in this game deliberately, you know, moves slower. Uh, when you attack and stuff and he punches, that animation moves slower than what you would, you know, typically expect. Um, I guess in one hand, they're just basically trying to give you this feeling of the of the weight of the mech so like big huge ships in the sea you're you know hopefully by movie slowing you're getting a feeling that they really are a hundred ton machines um it is a slow burn but but you get used to that trust me you get used to it and it's it's so worth it and i don't know i mean back in the there was an option i believe to turn off the animations which actually sped everything up you know a lot if i remember correctly but I mostly never used it. Maybe once in a while if I was trying to rush through something because I just enjoyed watching them, you know, to blow each other up and firing rockets and watching them go across the map and stuff. This is a tactical RPG, so tactics and strategy are key. Similar to other tactical RPGs, you do spend a good amount of your time just uh, figuring out, you know, what kind of mechs you're going to use. Um uh, and uh, how you're going to equip them? Different weapons use up uh, different or have different ammunition pay uh, loadouts and take uh, different amounts of AP to use. Uh, for those of you who've played like the XCOM games and stuff, um, oh, what's that one I'm trying to think of? Uh, Drat. Um, but yeah, a lot of the, this game uses the action point system. So you'll start off with 13, you know, action points and you can move around that choose up action points. When you go to attack, when you, when you first pick like shoot with a shotgun, it'll show you've got 13 shooting the shotgun is four. You'll have nine left, you know, to maybe shoot again or do something else. So the game gives you a lot of the AP method gives you a lot of flexibility of mobility versus, you know, offensiveness. So generally your guys with the rocket launchers, their distance attackers, firing rocket launchers takes a good amount of AP so they're usually the ones with the least amount of mobility but hell they they don't need it um, they fire from across the uh, from across the map um, huge range on those things uh, you'll have your guys with the machine guns and the shotguns that are better uh, within a closer range uh, and then finally you'll have some melee guys um, with huge metal things around their fists that you'll use to get in and, and those things have the power to knock off a limb you know all on their own if you knock if you knock out the enemy's legs, so the legs have hit points. I believe the right and left arm have their own hit points, and the body has hit points. Or maybe it was the head. Um, 
occasionally I think you blow off the head and the pilot ejects or something like that, which happens once in a blue moon on random. But for the most part, you're blowing up legs and body. If you blow off their legs, they can't move. That's really great to do for the shorter range enemies. If uh, if you blow off their arms, they may lose their weapon in one of their hands. Um, yeah, because some of the mechs will have, you'll have like a shotgun in one hand and a machine gun in the other. Um, now that part is standard through the series, or so I understand, because that is in Front Mission 1. Yeah, yeah. Oh, if you blow off their legs, they don't literally lose their legs, unlike the arms. The mechs will still show no, they... but their mobility but their mo- takes a massive... massive. Yeah, yeah, they can only move one square. Yeah, it's hilarious. Um, but if you blow off the arm, they'll lose the weapon that was in that arm. So they may... And sometimes if the guy only had, like, one weapon, and that's the arm that gets blown off, now he's got just a little fist on the other side. If he doesn't have, like, a melee weapon in that hand, um, he's really next to useless. Um, yeah, and occasionally you'll knock the... I think you can... I'm trying to remember if you can aim for the head or not. Jeez, I, I, I don't remember. But... Uh, or you can knock out the body. Once the body's out of hit points, the mech is pretty much destroyed. Yeah, I don't think you could aim in... What's that? Mission 3. I don't think you could aim at body parts in Front Mission 3. Yeah, you could... Yeah, I think you can aim at the part... I think it... Well, like the shot, uh, it, the shotgun would shoot all the parts at once. So would the machine uh, gun. Actually, yeah. It's either hit or melee weapons like or, or... randomly targets one. I think. Yeah, I think melees randomly target. Yeah, that was it. Mm-hmm. yeah. Um, but you can, you, I think you can learn skills that will purposely hone in on certain parts oh, when right. those skills kick in. So in that manner, by equipping the right skills, you can make a party that's or people that are specialized in blowing off arms. I want to say that's how it works. Again, ten years, guys. So you can write lots of comments on the board if I'm wrong about this. Love this game. The balance is really, really good. Um, uh, throughout the whole thing, I felt challenged. Uh, there were definitely times where I was losing my own arms and legs, and sloppy moves uh, raises the chance of that happening substantially. So you feel like uh, there's a good, a good, good uh, difficulty balance and trade-off. Um, and it took me about 80 hours to beat the game. And and you guys know I'm not really very disciplined when it comes to beating games. So a game is really darn good when I just tear through an 80-hour game in you know a month or two months. That that for me is like speed running. That's that's just you know maniac for me. But it was just just so awesome, so so much fun. And on the PlayStation Network, carry it on your PSP. It goes where you go, and it's a it's a great game to play. Um, on the go. I don't remember if it lets you um, hard save in the middle of a combat or soft save the way, let's say, Fire Emblem does, but the PlayStation Portable has a great sleep mode. And that's one really cool thing, by the way, just as a quick aside. The the DS, if you put that guy on sleep mode, you tend to lose 10% of your battery every day. So if you left your game you know, on pause and you forgot about it for a week, because I'm kind of that kind of person, it's quite possible to lose where my progress in a game. It happened with all the time if I didn't plug in my DS. Whereas the PSP only loses like 1% a day or so. I've had some friends tell me it's a little different on theirs, but um, I've had like two PSPs plus the, now the Vita. And those those devices, Sony does a good job of the sleep modes actually lasting a long time. So I'll be picking up a game I play like two weeks. Oh, hell, I was in the middle of battle crap. Um, so those are pretty cool. Anyways, super, super, really cool. Um, there's That's not even getting into the fact that there's like a virtual internet thing that you can get into. You can play basically reality, virtual reality um, training exercise to grind up. I think that was for grinding up XP or something along those lines. But I remember you could go inside this network and plot, a, uh, you know, hack away the little network and find out information and read virtual news. They were doing this before Grand Theft Auto was. Uh, it, it was just really cool. They had their own little virtual internet and you get like emails from people and stuff. There was a lot of text. I just didn't read through it. I want to kill more things. I just, I just want to blow off more mechs. <laughs> 
So super, super awesome. I've been dying for a really great turn-based mech warrior, you know, tabletop counterpart because I loved the tabletop game back in the 80s. The mech commander was about as close as I got to that. Of course, there was the mech warrior, but that was a more of a first-person, you know, shooter type of deal. Um, and uh, and uh, the mech commander was kind of, you know, kind of close to that. But honestly, front mission really brought it home for me. It totally brought back, uh, while it didn't have, Quite the level of tactical depth uh, of that. Um, the 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 cinemat uh, the cinematics totally make up for it. And watching limbs blow up and stuff. And and yeah, just great. So if you were into those type of games, you definitely got to check it out. It's just it's just awesome sauce. And that's my number two. Come back in a couple of weeks for number one. Mahaha! <laughs> I've talked enough. Well, I, I got some news, but I'll wait. I want other people to talk. I want Alex to talk. Alex, what have you been doing on the website, or do you want to pimp anything, or you been playing anything cool? This is your time well, to shine. I know. I know. Alex reviewed Mystic Chronicles recently. Ooh, that sounds like a oh, cool yeah. game. It's Mystic. It's Chronicles. That that must. Oh man, I bet you that got like a four point five just based on the name alone. No, it's a Kemco RPG. It, it's a what? Kemco. Kimco, you know, I can't say I heard of it, but with a name like Mr. Chronicles, does it really matter who made it? I mean, seriously. Yeah, well, Kimco makes a load of generic RPGs for iOS and mobile platforms, and this is a port of one of their games for PSP. So it was originally a PSP game called it Mystic. Was, no, originally iOS, oh. but ported to PSP. Oh, ported to PSP. Oh, oh, oh. Did I mention it's called Mystic Chronicles? That's really cool. Yeah. <laughs> So, how awesome was that game? Super awesome or just really awesome? Um, neither. Very generic, very mediocre. All right, if you if you desperately need sort of something to kill about ten hours, it will do the job. Does it look like it was Otherwise, made with art? Uh, far better things to play. Does it does it look like it was made on RP uh, RP Maker? Uh, yeah. Oh, did Alex? Did did we drop Alex? Uh-oh. Yeah, that's that's what happens when you start talking about Mystic Chronicles. It just kicks you off. Yeah, that'll teach you a lesson, Alex, you and your negativity. So go out and buy Mystic Chronicles today, boys and girls. Um, yeah. You know, I'm looking at his review. Solid gameplay base. All right, that's all I need to see. Stop right there. And it's called Mystic Chronicles. Five out of five. Oh, he's back. Hi, Alex. We we dropped... For some reason, you dropped off for a minute there. I... I um, yeah, so you were saying how awesome yeah, this game that. is? Oh yeah, totally. On par with, let's say, the awesome Cross Edge or Dark Spire. Um, maybe even slightly better than. Oh that. crap! Okay, so everybody go out and buy that today. Well, are they really still releasing PSP games? Is this like a recent release or is this like a retro review? No, it's a recent release, but it was just basically through PSN. I can't believe there's still even. I guess. All right. Oh, I guess it's a very it's, cheap one to... Oh, damn. It's not like the Vita's installed base is so huge that developers instantly go for that and ignore the tiny PSP user base. All right. So anything else uh, fun and exciting that you're doing, Mr. Alex, that you want to pimp? Uh, I've been playing Tales of Zillia. Oh, now, that, that Zilla... Now, see, that doesn't sound nearly as fun. You must be... You must be having a really bad time with that. I mean, Mr. Chronicle sounds so much more exciting than a Zilla. What the hell is a Zilla? It sounds like a zit. A zit creature. Tales of a zit creature. 
So I've no idea what Zinnia means now, actually. Yeah. But Zit creature, I looked it up. It's a, it's a tales title; it never doesn't have to make sense. This is true, but in Greek, yeah, it, at least that has an actual connotation other than legendia. What does that make me think of? Uh, probably nothing in the actual game world. Yeah, well, I haven't seen anything that means Zidia yet, so. Hmm. But yeah, that's a lot of fun. It's coming close to being one of my top top tales games, which is. Well, how many of those have you played? Game. Um, I think I played Symphonia, Vesperia, Abyss, and Grace of And we should do like a top ten countdown of the best tales games. <laughs> Can we include uh, the imports? Because there are so many tales games that never came across the Pacific. Um. Yeah. <laughs> That'd be fun if we just limited to the English ones and there's only like 10 games altogether. <laughs> let, let me tell you, as someone who's imported some of the import games, the kind of dark secret is that a lot of the ones we didn't get were kind of bad. A lot of them, but not necessarily all. Um, most of them. What about what about that one that, that we didn't get over here? I think it got like a 40 on Fatsume or whatever that, you know, big... <laughs> Big reviewing, you know, Japanese Fatsumi. Yeah, <laughs> but, remember that one Tales game that was Tales of Mystic Chronicles. That that was a kick-ass what? game. Tales of Mystic Chronicles. You didn't see? I don't remember this one, Phil. Please tell us more about this game. <laughs> well, I, you know, it was all in Japanese, so I didn't quite understand it all. But I just heard it was super kick-ass, awesome. It was on the PSP. And uh, I think Alex, you know, might have some experience with it. But, yeah, it's Tales of Mystic Chronicles. Go out and get it today, boys, and go import that sucker. All right. So anything else you want to talk about that I can interrupt on, Mr. Uh, Alex? Um, not like I think of at the moment. Okay. Have I told you how great this tea I'm drinking is? It's great tea. Mmm. You know, I don't know if I'm sleep deprived or insanity is actually going on. It's spreading. It's spreading over the internet. <laughs> it is 5 a.m. here. Yeah, and like I had four hours of sleep last night, so I'm kind of in the same boat with you. But don't worry, I have, I have, together very well, I have tea. Oh, yeah, you're doing a great job, Alex. Uh, Nathan, how about you, buddy? Um, I don't know, I guess... I'm really, really deep into Final Fantasy XIV withdrawals, so I'm looking forward to in a couple of days when I can finally play it again. Um, I guess by the time this podcast goes up, I already have played it, so go future me. But go future yeah. you! I don't know what else to say that. <laughs> well, let's see. So it's the choice between two mics. Go. A tale of two mics. Yeah, yeah. Tales, tales of two mics. Pick it up. It's a Japanese import. Got a thirty-nine and a half by uh, Fatsume. So, Mister Apps, what's going on in your corner of the world? Well, I just recently reviewed Arcania, aka Gothic Four, which was aggressively mediocre. Um. And then I kind of went on a giant binge of Shin Megami Tensei 4, and which I just beat yesterday, uh, which I actually liked a lot more than Glenn did. But 
Oh, what are was you your final game? Time? Are you going to give a review on? Oh yeah, game time first, and then tell us if it... no. I have no interest in reviewing. Oh it. come I on, man! You got to counteract no. Lin on there, man. He's got a lot of bad vibes, man. He's so negative. No, that's a bad reason to review a game. Yeah, do it. It's a great but reason. My final clock was about thirty-eight hours. Whoa! Wow. Whoa! That's a speed. Did you even bother watching the cuts? You just you just skipped past them, didn't you? Uh, well. The challenge quests I did probably numbered about three or four. So I kind of just stuck to the main story, and yeah. Mm. You, you know, I'm a little surprised, though, that you weren't quite as happy with that uh, Gothic 4 Tales of Arcania game. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's got action, it's got, you know, party beat em up it's Tales of... It, I'll tell you what it does have. It is tales of glitches and uh, really bad design is what it's tales of. Wow, this is a really nice... Yay, glitches! This is a really nice Yay. screenshot. Now now you've got me thinking about Planescape Torment. Even though that was an awesome game, it had glitches. Yeah, this one's a lot worse. Oh. Well, <laughs> I, I kind of expected that because Planescape Torment is really, really good. Yeah, well, you mean this is like, you know, this a game is obviously modeled a bit after, you know, like uh, Elder Scrolls games. You know, it kind of gives you the sense of openness. And, you know, sometimes when you try to, say, take advantage of that openness, like perhaps jumping on a small little ledge, you know, you may slide off the terrain, off a giant cliff, into water and die. But that's just part of the fun. If oh. you don't know how to keep yourself from dying, then the spontaneous adrenaline response that your body produces when confronted with a horrible obstacle in front of it will be even more natural. I suppose. Um, see, see I, had, I had to really struggle there to come up with potential yeah. positives. Uh, and then, of course, there's the whole issue where enemies will teleport all over the place. If you're on any any sort of terrain with elevation that isn't just like flat area, and you know, just like you yes, exactly. And then the, there's the story, which is kind of like, okay, you're on a revenge quest, and you need to get here. Which here's kind of the annoying part here in a game where it presents you with an openish world. Uh, you spend a large part of the game trying to get to this like uh, this town, which is like a short swim across this bay very early on in the game. But no, you know, going into water is death, so that can't happen. So you have to go on a bunch of quests um, to help whoever's currently blocking your progress towards this place, and it's just tedious as all heck. So yeah, um, it has fun combat, and that's the only nice thing I can say about it. Yeah, that is fun combat when it's not glitchy as all hell. So if you happen to fall through fall through a rock crevice and wind up in the water and die during a fight, that would just be your tough luck. Yeah, exactly. Well, lovely. Or if you know you happen to charge up a spell, you know that's gonna save you from the death an enemy is about to bring you, and release that spell as the enemy, you know, teleports randomly, because they were on a hill or something, you know, that's your own fault for not expecting that to happen. Well, that's just everyone knows that. It's common knowledge that game glitches are the player's fault. It's true. <laughs> Obviously not glitches you were kind enough to the game. You didn't encourage it adequately and now the game is getting back at you. Well, you see, they're, they're not glitches. They're just features you don't understand. Well, in that case, wouldn't Unlimited Saga be among the most 
featured games ever? Well, it kind of is. It just has, like, the worst interface design in history, among a, num- a number of other issues. But that's a whole... That, let's not let's not Let, Yeah, let's not go there that. again. That, that is a pit that can take hours to climb out of. As we know, long-time listeners. But yeah, so more on a, more on a positive note, uh, despite some story and character issues, I definitely had a hell of a lot of fun with Shin Megami Tensei 4. Um... And obviously, I've also been playing uh, a little bit of all three of the Valkyria Chronicles in preparation for tonight, just to kind of refresh my memory a little bit. And um, oh yeah, um, Dot Hack. I have kind of uh, GU right. Yes, dug into dug in and finished GU, which I'm going to be reviewing sometime in the near future. I'm kind of just taking. Does that my mean time you're going to review. be re- writing three separate reviews for each part? Try to review it in one go. Uh, three separate views, because okay. I think I think it's better that way, so you can kind of see, you know, is this improving as it's going along? Uh, I think it's better. I think it's better that way than trying to kind of throw it all together. And anyway, they were released separately, so it would kind of be disingenuous for you to review all three of them. Yeah, but yeah. Um, I can say uh, before I get the review out that I absolutely adored G One. It's got some. It's got some issues. Um, but just the way it uses the setting, the graphics engine, which I think is what like seven years, seven years old or now or so, is fantastic. And you know, uh, just the ways it improves over what little I played of the original series is it's just really good and a lot of fun and doesn't um, has a lot of ways to help you help you grind if you have trouble with kind of the main story. A lot of side cool side content. And even then, it doesn't, like, overstay its welcome, because obviously it's going to be in three parts. You don't really... Maybe not the greatest idea to have, like, three 60-hour-long games. So, yeah, um, definitely coming out of the first one with a positive impression. I haven't started two yet, and but hopefully that continues along. Um, more power to you. Yes, and I'm back on Q&A now. Uh, thank you, Phil, for taking over for a while. Mm-hmm. Uh... So and I've added a thread on the forums where you can now ask questions, which you I probably should. You seem to be doing fine for submissions, on. so I haven't given you any for a while. Yeah, the, I've gotten some questions on the forums and some Twitter, and actually only one from email. So I, I guess I should kind of try and push the other method, methods of getting questions because I, I don't think people like writing emails, is what I'm coming to realize. So I think uh, I should get some good questions on the forums. There's already some good ones there. So Yeah, I've kind of yeah. noticed that too It's uh, in connecting with people is that a lot of people aren't checking or looking at their email a whole lot, yeah. which makes it really frustrating when you're doing like, uh, I don't know, statewide coordination of pen and paper events. <laughs> and you've got like to communicate to 12 or tw- you know 15 GMs at once. And it's like, well, you either find the ones that follow Facebook, the ones that follow Twitter, and text message the other ones. It, it used to be so much easier just to email everybody at once. Yeah, getting a little rough. Yeah, but, uh, you know, obviously I'm on Twitter a lot, so people are already communicating with me there. And, you know, people are already on the forums. Uh, it seemed, it should have seemed obvious that that was a good place just to throw something up where they can put questions. You know, it's easy to grab. I can edit their post and put a link to whichever, you know, Q&A uh, episode their questions were answered in. And, um, yeah, so thank you for giving me that idea. Uh, and, yeah, that's about it. Um, 
Trying to think of anything else I may have missed. Um, I just downloaded DuckTales. So I think my my life will about to be like a hurricane. Your life. My life will be like a hurricane. Are you about to see race cars, lasers, airplanes? I think I already see them. You know, I think it's a duck blur. <laughs> are you? Are you? Might solve a mystery then? Or rewrite history? Yeah. <sighs> Woohoo! <laughs> not phony tales, not cotton tales, <laughs> duck tales. Yeah, that's all for me, and I will add one last point that I have been playing Fired Up Valkyrie Chronicles 3 while we were podcasting, and can now confirm that yes, it does support uh, nine characters in battle. So uh, go hey. out, go out, and order yourself a copy of the game. Please help Sega. Please convince Sega to keep the series going. Yo, what has nine characters? The party uh, roster in Valkyrie Chronicles 3 for each battle. Yes. But it's in Japanese, right? So why would... I, it's in Japanese. So what? Nine. I tried reading one of those Fatsume, you know, magazines once, <laughs> and I didn't understand what the hell it was saying. Why would I buy one of their games? Well, because it's a game, and you can skip the text and just kind of play. I don't know. Those funky you know, characters confuse me. It's not like trying to play, say, um, Persona 3 in Japanese, which would be... How about trying to play idea? Uh, Phoenix Wright Ace Attorney Investigations 2 in Japanese, which yeah, is the that, only way you could do it. <laughs> that would be a bad idea. This, however, is like, in general, strategy and tactical games are kind of an easier import to deal with, especially, especially if it's a series that you're familiar with. He speaks truth, Phil. I, I have much experience in this matter also. Oh, dude, they still doing Rosetta Stone. For $800, I can learn Japanese in under three weeks. <laughs> well, hell, hook me up. Rosetta Stone on sale for only seven ninety nine for a limited time. Hell. I, I think that's speaking Japanese. I don't think that course I, I sh- is going to necessarily up. include reading it. Rosetta Stone's got me covered, man. Don't be, don't be a downer. Okay. okay. Okay, I'm so Rosetti stoning this. Uh, wait, I'm starting to play it now. Oh, it wants me to repeat after it. Fatsume. Fatsume. Wow, this is great stuff. I'm already learning new words. Anyway. So, anything else for for, for, for you, Mr. Apps, that I can make fun of? Um... um... I don't think so. Just buy Valkyrie Chronicles 3. Ignore Phil. Ignore Phil. Buy it. Sushi Cookie. Hi, hi. Oh, sorry. I was listening to Rosetta Stone again. Forgot to put it on mute. Actually, you know what? That's kind of my my general last message I want to give. Please, if you haven't, buy Valkyrie Chronicles product as much as you can. Rosetta Stono. Yeah. Okay, I think I got that one. Wow. Speaking Japanese in five minutes already. Damn. I'll be playing Japanese RPGs in no time. Oh, sorry. Uh, Mike. Mike, did you have something for the group? I just posted today a little review for Mario and Luigi Dream Team. Was it? If you look at the RP Gamer site, you will find was it. Was it Tales of Mario and Luigi RPG? Only in your world, Phil. It should have been. Ooh. Phil, Phil, 
We are dealing with a Nintendo franchise. Uh, the name will not be changed. Nintendo oh, rules all. That's why you gave it a 2 out of 5, because it didn't have Mr. Chronicles in the title. Well, I can understand that. That's cool. You're not feeling very dreamy right now, Phil. <laughs> okay. As Mario, Mario and Luigi games go, I would rank this... Hmm... Above the second game, below the third game, and somewhere around par of the first game. Its major problem is that even though you don't cover a whole lot more ground than you did in any of the earlier games, you take significantly more time to do it. I can't pin down exactly how that happens, except for the incessant tutorials that flood the text through about the first 20 hours or so. But it somehow does last longer without giving you appreciably more content. And maybe if you play it in a slower chunk than I had to for review, it won't be as noticeable. Uh, I can praise the visuals. They're actually quite pretty. I even turned on the 3D for some of the dream portions, and it's really cool. The multi-layered backgrounds in particular are very interesting. The text, as usual for this series, is quite amusing. It's just that there's so much hand-holding at times that you get kind of sick of, look, you just told me how that thing works, and now you're telling me again because apparently I'm too dumb to remember things from two minutes ago. Uh, and there are a couple of portions where you have to use the, the 3DS gyroscope, which I did not like because when I have to whip that thing out in a hurry and I can get killed if I don't use it correctly in, I don't know, about ten seconds, uh, that can be frustrating I can also praise Yoko Shimomura's music, she does a great job again and some of the tunes in this are really really catchy just like, actually I have yet to hear her do a bad soundtrack so that woman composes great stuff and if you've played your Mario and Luigi games before this, you know what to expect you probably will get pretty much what you expect and if you've never played one it's a blast just be prepared for it to overstay its welcome a little bit. That's all I can really come down negatively about. And I will shortly have a review for Shining Force Neo after I actually complete the stupid thing. I had stopped right before entering the final dungeon. And I have so far sunk about three and a half hours into the final dungeon, gone up ten levels which means I'm level 131 right now. And no, I'm not done with it. There's a lot more of this final dungeon to go. So, um, kudos to you, Neverland and Amusement Division, for making a game that has sucked away over 60 hours of my life, and I can't really justify that in any way, shape, or form, because most of it is pretty bad, but something about it is addicting me. Bastards. Mm. Sounds like they've broken you. And here's... I had maxed out all of the skills, except for the magic ones, which I wasn't using. And then suddenly, when I entered the final dungeon, here, have some new skills! You couldn't use these before, because they would have been helpful. But now you can... And, of course, I don't have enough energy to max all of these new ones out. So, thanks for nothing, you 
shameless. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks so much, Shining Force Neo. Thank you so freaking much. I haven't seen a whole lot of movies by my standards since the last time we did this, but I will give a shout out to Next Time I Marry, which is a very funny Lucille Ball movie from 1938, which has an actual shot in it of which does not look fake in the slightest of a car missing by less than a second a train about to plow into it on the track hmm. so that's impressive and it's actually quite funny it's just a silly setup of Lucy's going. Lucy's running around asking guys on a ditch digger gang hey you want to marry me? oh you're already married oh you're already married nope you're not married come on I'll give you 500 bucks if you marry me hmm. and then they get married and the only thing you can find for a ring is an iron link that fits around two of her fingers and they get married and what do you know she wants to get divorced immediately and he he won't do that because he has to divorce her or else he comes off bad so he drags her along in his trailer on a cross country trek to Reno for a quickie divorce and what do you know they fall for each other because that's what that's the formula we're in but it's actually pretty funny so check it out if you ever get the chance because Lucy is a funny lady and yeah, I'll I'll leave it there. Hmm. Go. Oh, it's my turn. Sorry, I was reading. It is your turn. I was Phil. reading some more Rosetta Stone, and I had myself on mute, so you didn't see me. You didn't hear me say that next phrase that was on the list. Twilight forever. Oh, you got to see this, Mike. I know you want to see this. It's the Twilight Saga, the entire series on DVD for the first time in Blu-ray. In Blu-ray. That's right. So you can see, you can you can get your Team Edward or Team Jacob on in full high definition. But Phil, everybody knows that Team Mustache Dad is where it's at. <laughs> oh my gosh! Uh... All right, oh, come on, T- Team Mustache Dad. Uh, yeah, yeah. Mm. Uh, everybody who's listened to the riff tracks gets this. Okay, so let's go over some, a quick some some quick retro news, right? Torch, and then I'll go into whatever I'm doing, whatever the hell I'm doing. Um, Torchlight is free on GOG until July. Wait, I meant it's August. Why am I reading that for? Okay, well, let's make sure it's something newer. Okay, so uh, Xenoblade Chronicles, pretty good RPG, right? I think it was you know IGN's best game of the Wii in 2012, and we know IGN is the definitive source of. RPG reviews and the such. Apparently, um, uh, GameStop is selling Xenoblade and Metro Prime for the low, low price of $90. And what? Oh, met, just Metroid Prime 1? or the Metroid Prime, I think that's... I would think the trilogy. trilogy, yeah. Oh, yeah. And, uh, and uh, Xenoblade Chronicles. And... Um, Apparently, there's a bit of a supply and demand issue with that particular title. And that, my friends, is why I pre-ordered some of those games. Anyways, <laughs> I'm just going to keep, keep watching the price go up. And I don't know. might be an eBay sale. Anywho, food for thought there. Keep an eye on those prices, boys and girls. And sometimes you don't want to wait too long to buy that stuff. Uh, so, on uh, GOG, they've got uh, Etherlords 1 and 2 and Silent Storm on sale. I, I might have mentioned Etherlords before as one of my favorite games. It's Heroes Meets Might meets 
um, Heroes of Might and Magic meets Magic the Gathering, a really cool little series of games. It's on sale for about five more days. Hopefully we'll get the podcast up by then. Um, but what's really cool and kind of tying in what we've been talking about today is Silent Storm Gold Edition S2. Um, that is a really, really great uh, tactical I don't know if you'd say officially it's an RPG. Um, it's listed as a turn-based strategy game, but that's not really accurate either. Um, it, yeah, it would definitely feel right at home along with Front Mission, a lot of those other ones, as you are kind of trading turns with troops on the field. you got uh, uh, action points just like you do uh, with Front Mission. The only thing is, I mean, your characters gain experience, so you're doing skills. I'm not sure why that wouldn't be considered a tactical RPG. Um, but it's got really, really cool physics in it. We throw a grenade at a building, it actually calculates the damage on the building and the structure and determines whether the, the structure will cave in in parts. Or if you shoot through a, a wall, it'll use the you know strength of the wood and stuff, and you might put holes in it that you can shoot through later. It's, it uses a lot of real physics for a strategy game that uh, for tactical games that tend to abstractualize a lot of that stuff. It's handling it real time underneath the hood with physics. Uh, so really, really cool. Fully destructible 3D world. XCOM meets World War II, and it absolutely rocks. So uh, you want to check this out if you're a tactical turn-based uh, fan. It normally costs $10. It's on sale for 5 uh, At $10, it is an absolute steal. And when it first came out uh, back in 2004, that thing would slow your machine down if you didn't have a top-end graphics card. Now, uh, your computer's going to be able to handle it just fine. Uh, the graphics aren't going to blow you away 10 years later. Again, it's the physics, though, and being able to blow up those walls and stuff, uh, that really makes this pretty cool. So go on and check it, uh, check it out. That's to Silent Storm Gold Collection, currently on sale at GOG.com. Um, so let's see. Uh, oh, and it, it comes from Russia, actually. Yeah, yeah. It's not uh, – yeah, it is absolutely a cool Russian game. Um, I don't remember – I played through like a dozen hours or so back in the day but oh, kept oh, dragging down my Bill, computer. Wiki says it's a tactical RPG. Oh, okay. Well, okay. Well, there you go. It's solved. It's Wiki after all. Wiki is infallible. So what if I told you uh, – let me look this up real fast and then I'll tell you what I was going to tell you. <laughs> uh, <laughs> one second here. Yeah, but that that's a really good game. Really, really cool game. Cool, cool game. <laughs> um, okay, so what if I told you that there was this, like, cool 1992 RPG that people, you know, cultic following, people still loved? And what if I told you they remade it this year in and with beautiful graphics? But, the, but, you know, it's still kind of the core game, but it's beautiful graphics. When did you want to jump on that, Minky? It's got turn-based combat. It's old-school Western RPG, the way nature intended. I'm tantalized. All right. Tell me more. All right. Now, now we did hear somebody on the show who has a pretty negative attitude put down Arcania 4, Gothic 4, Arcania, something or rather it was called. But what if I told you that there was Realms of Arcania, Blade of Destiny? A totally different game that's titled almost exactly the same, so it could be slightly confusing. But it's actually a rebuild of the or remake of the original Arcania game from 1992. Wouldn't you be on top of that stuff, Mister Apps? What What do you say? You, you are the Arcania expert at the uh, moment. But Arcania really has nothing to do with anything related to old Arcania. 
Okay, you know what? You you are. I mean, you just talked about Arcania Gothic Four or whatever. I mean, this is like Realms Arcania. Yeah, but it's it's the same it's thing. Gothic. No, it's not. Absolutely. It's really just Gothic. They both Four. have Arcania the name, dude. What what else do you need, man? Gosh, yeah, that's spelled differently. Like so 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 negative today. <laughs> What's your point? Okay, so somebody who came up with the title card made it a little forgot to do spell check on it. Okay. Gosh. Hey, the Arcania I played had two capital A's. How many capital A's is your Arcania? Yeah. Oh, and yours has a C. Yeah, ours has a C, yeah. Yes. This is uh this is actually so this is uh yeah. This is uh the uh, all joking aside, um that game's hit it's hit for twenty dollars. Don't get it. <laughs> so I just it just it, the reviews on it I've not played it myself and I'm not going to spend $20 for a game that's getting 40% across the board um, just got a lot of problems with it buggy and the execution was poor it was a kind of a missed opportunity I don't know if maybe down the road they'll do a massive patch that'll fix it pull a witcher on us or something but uh, right now not worth the 20 bucks boys and girls so it looks all retro-y it is but a little too retro-y I suppose so don't do that. Just say no. There's also a new little game that's kind of come out. Uh, again, we're kind of in this RPG meets strategy kind of mode tonight with turn-based gameplay. This is called Lords of Midnight. It's just hit GOG.com. And as much of a retro gamer as I am, and I have played games in the early 80s, I don't remember seeing this one before. It's a, Basically, it's a retro-style uh, game that is based on the Lord of Midnight from 1984. Four, um, from a creator named Mike Singleton, who does not ring a bell to me. Um, and it, it's I'm looking at the screenshots. If you if you if you if you look at them, you swear this was a 1984 game, except for the fact that it's not pixelated. But the style of the artwork is very very. If you're into if you played early PC games like I did, you're gonna be like, holy crap, this is. You know, pixel uh, lack of pixelation aside, the, it's using like four colors, basic graphics, or basic, um, yeah. A- anyways, just uh, googlegog.com, The Lord of Midnight. Too early to tell whether or not it's actually still a compelling experience or if he's done some changes to help it make a compelling experience, you know, some 30, 40 years later. Whatever, whatever it was, 84, uh, 14, ah, 30 year anniversary coming up for these guys. So God bless them for revamping that for a new age and then re-releasing it. But boy, I, the graphics alone scratches my my nostalgia itch. I mean, the gameplay doesn't look familiar to me at all, though, unfortunately. So um, hopefully, I'll have some. We'll have some reviews. Uh, other people will play it and spend their hard-earned coin on it, and I'll show you some of their thoughts as they come up on the website. So that is Lord of Midnight, Lords of Midnight, Lord of Midnight, something like that. Hmm. Alrighty, I uh, think that is about it. I mean, I haven't been doing anything super exciting the last two weeks. I've been super, super busy with my new boss and a lot more responsibility at work and playing lots of uh, Pathfinder in between, doing the, the Wrath of Winter, no, Reign of Winter adventure path on one hand and Skulls and Shackles on the other. And players on both sides have been having a ton of fun and doing some Pathfinder Society in between. So um, still hacking away at Borderlands 2 in between, put a couple more hours into that. And hopefully near the end of infamous finally which isn't an rpg but it should be because you pump like experience points into skills bam rpg just saying bam done i'd say it was an rpg thank you appreciate that and you make moral decisions along the way some guy's hanging up by a rope do you let him down that would be a good thing or do you just ignore him and become more evil i mean come on man this is like uh knights of the republic stuff here okay just 
All right. More importantly, that game is really good. It is good. I'm enjoying it, and I'm and I can't wait to to get through it and dive into two because I understand two is even better. So yeah. I'm super excited, and of course, with uh, hopefully by the time I get done with two at the rate I play games, uh, hopefully I'll get done before the uh, PlayStation Four comes out with number three. So, huh. Anyways, uh, that's going to be a wrap. We're super excited for a couple of weeks. Make sure you come back and listen to show 100. In the meantime, listen to our previous shows at rpgamer.com as well as our sister show, the RPG Cast. That's all at rpgamer.com. Uh, you can follow us at facebook.com forward slash rpgamer, twitter.com forward slash rpgamer. You can send your questions, comments, write them on our boards first at uh, board.rpgamer.com. You can send your questions to me at twitter.com forward slash jcservant or facebook.com forward slash jcservant or email me at jcservant at cyberlightcomics.com or Mike Minky at Albert – what is it? Still Albert Odyssey at Hotmail? Mm-hmm. At, there you go. Albert Odyssey at Hotmail.com. Woo! All that and oh so much more. RP, uh, RPG Backtrack is a production of rpgamer.com, your source for news, reviews, and home to the best gaming community on the net. Thank you so much for listening. Mr. Minky, put us to sleep. I could do that with a lengthy historical lecture on exactly how the fascist development of Europe overtook several countries in the 30s. But you know what? I don't need to. Good night.